Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. There's a baseball team that actually wants to win baseball games. And it's something that we're not used to. It's a novel concept. If the Yankees are laying back in the market, if the Dodgers are, if the Red Sox aren't spending big dollars, and if a team like the Cubs want to dump salary, Peter Seidler, the new managing general partner there, has given him the leeway to go out and get guys. And when you add Snell and Darvish to a rotation that's already as solid as it is, Padres may not be the team to beat in the National League, but they're a threat to the Dodgers. You've probably heard this saying, Saxon. <laughs> it's called zigging with one other zag, right? Ooh. The Padres appear to be doing that because nobody in baseball wants to spend. Nobody. The, the Cubs yesterday in a pure salary dump took on four guys that are like 18, 19, and 20 years old that are four or five years away from the big leagues. They brought back a number three or four pitcher in Davies who he's fine. He's perfectly, he's adequate. He's like Mike Leak light is right. what they're getting in him. They got nothing for one of the best pitchers in baseball in you Darvish and the Padres. Meanwhile, traded basically nothing for one of the best pitchers in baseball in you Darvish. What they got in return was a three year, $57 million contract that apparently 28 other teams were not interested in taking on. I've never rooted for anything in my life more than I'm going to be rooting for the Padres to work next year (laughs) because I want teams to stop looking at the Rays as the model and to start looking at teams like the Padres as the model. That is not to say spin, spin, spin at every turn. Spin smartly. When a 26-year-old like Manny Machado becomes available, yeah, that's a guy you should go get because he's awesome and young and in his prime. When Eric Cosmer becomes available, who's a great clubhouse guy that is really good defensively at first base and has basically everything you want to lead a team culture-wise into the future, yeah, go ahead and give him a five-year contract because he's in the prime of his career and has a winning pedigree. When you have the opportunity to go out there and trade for a young Fernando Tatis Jr., who you think can be a star, go get that guy. When you then are in your winning window and these types of deals become available, these are the moves that you make. They are the model that other teams can emulate, should emulate. But Saxy, I'm so, so (laughs) worried if this doesn't work that there's going to be a lot of owners. Dan's right. There's always going to be teams that look to it and say, Ah, let's just spend anyways. We're going to spend like the drunken sailor, right? 
But the majority of teams are looking right now at the Rays and saying, hey, we could win with a $60 million payroll. Maybe that's the way to do it. Hopefully, 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 the Padres can go ahead and reverse that trend a little bit and show if you do it the right way, there is a way to spend, be exciting, keep your star players, and do it all the way that fans are actually going to enjoy watching. Yeah, well, I do agree with your overall point that, um, you know, they are one of the few teams that's absolutely all the moves they're making now are to win they're to win they're not to balance the books they're not to gain the you know this great phrase payroll flexibility who goes to the ballpark to watch payroll flexibility right but i don't think you're gonna have to wait until it fails to see other teams not emulate it especially at this moment because all all of these dudes who are billionaires and own these teams didn't get to be billionaires because they like to lose money or they like to not make money. And I think you're going to see, I agree with Danny Mac. I think the Mets are going to, with a new owner, are going to want to maybe go out there and kind of grab the, the headlights and the headlines in New York City from the Yankees, which they rarely get an opportunity to do. They're going to make a few moves still. Um, maybe the Blue Jays, a couple other teams, but... For the most part, you'll see the Dodgers selectively take their shots when they really think they have an opportunity, but I don't think they're in a big spending mode. So it is going to be a really boring offseason for the most part. We'll, we'll see the Real Mutos of the world on the Springer side in the next couple weeks, but aside from that, it's going to drag. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in the show today. From the 314, guys, the Padres are following the Dodgers model, which just worked. The Padres aren't the trendsetter here. A contraire. The Dodgers went about things a little differently, in my opinion. Yeah, I, w- I was there. I can definitely attest to that. But yeah. So, first of all, a vast majority of their core was drafted and developed mm-hmm. by the Padres. That That's one thing we probably don't talk about enough. They got guys like Cody Bellinger in the second round. They developed Will Smith. Um, the, the majority of the guys that you think about as their stars were from their farm system secondarily they are spending 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 on top of those guys they have the highest payroll in all of baseball this year the Padres payroll right now is pretty similar to the Cardinals going into next year it's not as if they are going out there spending with the Yankees and the Dodgers they're not it feels that way because we look at a lot of their contracts and are like whoa specifically the Hosmer and um, the Manny Machado deals it's a lot of money right the two deals that they just added especially for a guy like you Darvish decent amount of money for a pitcher but most of their guys are still on the rookie low-level deals, and so they're not spending a ton of money. I think it's a little different than what the Dodgers did. Maybe they ultimately get there. I don't know that the Padres, though, are ever going to spend in that $200 million range. I think this is a little different to me. Well, I'll give a little props to the texture in that it is a mixed approach, right? You're, you're, you're supplementing a really good core that you developed that's cheap, that's really good going forward with the select free agents or the select trade candidates, the Mookie Betts, the Manny Machado. So in that sense, it's similar, but the timeline was kind of exactly the opposite. Whereas the Padres essentially tanked for years to build their farm system to that point where they were good enough, where they could go out and get a Machado and he'd actually make a difference. The Dodgers, what they did when the new owners came in, because the the fans were disenfranchised after Frank McCord, who spent way below what they should have been spending in that market. So the new ownership group came in and they spent a ton of money. They made that big trade with the Red Sox. But all the while they had Stan Caston, who was the guy who built those systems in Atlanta all those years and then went on to Washington as renowned as sort of building farm systems. What they were really doing was spending that money to kind of get the team good quickly 
and then turning around and spending all the money on the farm system and in the front office, bringing Andrew Friedman in, deep analytics uh, basis. They spent a lot of money off the field, and now what you're you're seeing their payrolls actually inching down rather than bit, going yeah. up. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to watch because while it's going down, they also added a guy like Mookie Betts. And they're getting better. Yeah. That's it, what you want. And that's the goal for everybody, right? The Padres, I think the reason why they really matter here in St. Louis in particular is because they have a kind in a lot of ways, their approach isn't all that dissimilar than the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Now, the kind the of a mid-tier, a middle-class Major League Baseball team, absolutely. essentially. A the good dis- market, not a huge market. The difference, the distinction that I would make is they they went out there and they went out on a limb for Manny Machado. They, mm-hmm. they were willing to take that plunge into the 10-year contract waters. Right. The Cardinals have been unwilling to do that so far. They, they've been hesitant to give. They don't view it, and Derek Gould mentioned this to me uh, probably a month ago now, said they don't view it as um, f- an extra five years. They look at it as like an extra $150 million, right? So... Mm-hmm. For instance, if you look at the Dexter Fowler contract, whatever it was, five years, $80 million, they would not look at a 10-year, $160 million contract as just five more years on that. They would look at it as an extra $80 million guaranteed. Mm -hmm. I understand that perspective. Which it is. It is, absolutely. (laughs) But if you look at it on an annual basis, it doesn't change your payroll, Mm -hmm. really, but it just... the. The player that you are potentially acquiring is so much different by going that route than it is for Dexter Fowler. Mm-hmm. When you're shopping in those waters, suddenly the player pool that you're shopping in is the superstar market that is 26 years old. And that's just a totally different acquisition than a guy that's 32 that's about to start the back end of his career. That's what the Padres did. That's what I hope. Fingers crossed the Cardinals are willing to do probably not this offseason, but next year. If they see this work in San Diego, I wonder if that pushes them towards that direction. Well, it's funny. If you look at like what most fans want or expect from their team, it's very different from, I think, the way people in the industry view it. Um, they, they respect the Cardinals the way they, sure. they go about it. They respect the fact that the Cardinals don't sign 10-year deal, you know, $400 million contracts and still win because – that's basically the best way to build a baseball team, and everybody knows that. Where you go and spend the money is either where you don't have that guy, you just haven't been able to, to develop him, or you do have so many good pieces, you're maybe one piece away from that next step. And that's that's kind of what San Diego did, because as great as Tatis is, when you're facing a lineup with two massive threats, it's just a totally different thing. If you think of you know David Ortiz and Manny Ramirez, there's always like two just absolute or studs. Or even here in St. Louis, like. MV3, right? Correct, that, that, yes. that was That was the way that they built it in the early 2000s. Yes, there's something about that depth where you just have studs to get through that's very, very difficult to, to, to pitch to. And my argument for the Cardinals and why I seemingly think that they are closer than some Cardinals fans do, I think you've got one in Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. I think he's there. I think Carlson can be a really good player, maybe not an elite, like, upper echelon in all of baseball, but a really good player nonetheless. I think Paul DeYoung can be a really good player. If you had one more guy in that middle of the lineup, I do think you're starting to get closer. You're not going to be the Dodgers. You Mm -hmm. probably aren't going to be the the Padres, but you're getting closer to potentially at the very minimum being that third team in that mix. And I think you can do so as early as next year. You're sort of talking about that six war player that they talk about, right? It's It's the Goldschmidt. It's that elite guy. They only have one. And I think there are candidates of guys who could do it. You know, 
Paul Goldschmidt, or sorry, Paul DeYoung has been pretty close to that level. He's been four and a half, five. Now, a lot, a lot of that is bumped by his defense, mm-hmm. which is, you could argue, maybe a little bit of product of really good um, uh, positioning and, and spray charts. He's not Ozzie Smith. He's not going to dive and run and dive 25 feet and get a ball that, you know, others wouldn't. But, boy, if you put him in the right place, he's going to make the play, and that helps his war on the defensive side. But you're right. I think if you really kind of peel this thing back, what separates them from maybe those elite, those World Series kind of threat teams are just that that superstar talent. Yeah, if you look at all the teams that we consider to be legitimate World Series contenders next year, not playoff contenders, but World Series contenders, they all tend to have that guy that mm-hmm. you're talking no about. Question. And typically, most of them have multiple of those guys. I don't care how you acquire it. I've said this enough. It, it can be drafting and developing. That's ideal, frankly. If you right. can do it that way, that'd be great. The Cardinals haven't done that in 15 years now. So if you have to do it in international markets, fine, great, fantastic. If you want to do it via free agency, awesome. If you do it via trade, I don't care how you acquire it. I just want to eventually get that guy. They got one in Paul Goldschmidt, and they deserve all the credit for doing so and for locking him up long term. Yeah, and the easiest way to get, get that guy is to draft in the top seven in yeah. the draft, and they haven't done that since, boy, 30 19, years? 1995 or something. Yeah, yeah somewhere in that range. It's, it's been a while. J.D. Drew, perhaps, was the last. It ended up working out okay, (laughs) all things considered. He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's 11-14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up at 12-15, I've got a lot of questions about this offseason as a whole and where the NL Central fits into this. We'll get into that with Danny Mack. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, going to talk about the big day for the Blues with them signing Mike Hoffman. That's coming up at 1-30. Coming up next... Earlier today, I heard Greg Amsinger bring up a new potential candidate to sign Yadier Molina. I want to get Mark Saxon's thoughts on the Yadi market. We'll do that next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. I, you know, the, the longer this, this plays out, I don't think he's coming back. I, I don't think he's coming back to St. Louis. I hate saying that. I, I, this sounds weird. Uh, over the last couple of days, I, I think Yadier Molina signs with the Philadelphia Phillies. That was Greg Amsinger on Character and Smallman earlier today. If you missed it, check it out. Podcast pages on 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. It is all brought to you by I Promise. Talking about where he thinks Yadier Molina is going to go. He doesn't think that it'll be back here in St. Louis at this point. He is kind of leaning towards the Phillies. I'm flailing in the wind with this one. <laughs> you sound like I, everyone else who's trying to follow this. I don't know what's going on with Yachty. He's going to be back here. Are there other suitors out there? How much does the JT Realmuto and then the news from yesterday that apparently the Cubs are floating Contreras? They would like to move him before the season. All of these guys feel like candidates to sign or be traded before Yachty ultimately makes a decision. I would think if you're another team, they would be above Yachty on your list, but I don't know at this point. What do you think, Saxie? I, I love having a Cardinals insider here, so that way we actually get reported real opinions. What's going on with Yachty right now? Well, I think that you kind of put your finger on it in that it's not de- his market just isn't developing right now because I don't know whether the team that is looking at JT Realmuto is necessarily looking at Yadier Molina. It's a different case, right? They're sure. very different ages. They're very they bring different things to the table at this point. 
I think that though, when there, if a Wilson Contreras is out there, is somewhat similar to Yachty. He, he does have those defensive skills that that teams like. <clears throat> I think, you know, I think honestly, what the Cardinals are doing here, BK, if I can be honest, is that they're waiting for Yachty to get all the information he can from all the other teams out there, and they're kind of hoping behind the scenes a little bit that his market isn't what he thinks it is. And so they're hoping at the, in the final hour, Yachty's agent will come to them and say, look, here's what we've got right now. We have two formal offers, X and X team, B team, you know, and they're for this, these dollars. And the Cardinals can say, okay, we'll, we'll up that by X amount, but it ends up being something that fits into their budget. Whereas if they had started this discussion in August or September of last year, it would have been a very different looking number. It would have been seen as a ridiculous offer. Is that what you're trying Correct. to say? <laughs> right. Whereas let's just throw some numbers out there. So I had initially heard he was looking for like a one-year $10 million deal, which is half of what he made last year. That's somewhat reasonable, right, mm-hmm. for some decline, acknowledging that. Maybe the Cardinals' number internally is $5 million, and they're hoping he goes out there and talks to the, the whoever, the Mets, the Yankees, the Angels, the blah, 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 the Padres, and nobody's willing to go more than four and a half. So they add the fi- extra five hundred grand. He's back. So I think it's something like that. But nobody's going to kind of cop to that. If they had, if they had their druthers. Do you think he would be back? Like let let's say it does end up going similar to what you're saying. Maybe it ends up being a little more. Maybe he's there's a team out there that's like we think we're a championship contender. We didn't get Real Muto. We weren't willing to go there. We didn't get Contreras. We're not able to match the asking price in terms of prospects. Yachty's the best option out there. We'll give him one year, $7 million with incentives to get mm-hmm. it up to 10, right? Similar to the uh, Adam Wainwright contract last year. Do you think that's something that the Cardinals be like, you know what? We want him back. We'll go ahead and match that. We're, w- this is a guy that we are prioritizing. The answer is yes. I do think they would want him back, all things being equal. Now, you can make an argument you, you'd be better off, you know, using that six, seven million on, you know, just a pure bat. Right. You know, you could make that argument based on what the team looked like last year, the statistical profile Mm -hmm. of the team. But I think the Cardinals feel that way. Yes. If they could get him at their price, I think they would like to do that. Um, Now, part of that, and I've been a little surprised, I don't think that they view Andrew Kisner as a frontline catcher at this point, which surprises me a little bit. Um, That Moselak would say, if we don't get it done with Yachty, we'll probably go explore the external catching market. Surprised me a little bit. It didn't surprise me after what happened last year when Yachty was out. When Yachty yeah. was out for those, I think it was like four days. It didn't end up being as long as we all expected it to with the with the COVID situation. He was out, and Kisner started, I think, half of the games that he was out. And there was one that was like a doubleheader. And Wieters at that point was on one leg. He had a broken toe or foot or whatever, and he was clearly hobbled, clearly was not at 100%. His bat was not producing in any way, shape, or form. So defensively hobbled, offensively not producing, and even still, they weren't willing to give Kisner the vast majority of those starts. So when that happened, that was kind of a mental note to me where it was like, okay, they don't believe in the guy as a true number one catcher. Now, can he be a backup for them? Maybe I I could see them going that route. But I, I think that at this point that that train is out of the station. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're looking, and this is just my read on the situation, Taxi, if you're looking for the internal 
um, prospects that could be the next catcher for them. It seems to me like it's Yvonne Herrera. Now, we've said that about 17 different guys at this point since Yadi has been towards the back end of his career, but he seems to be the one that they're pointing at at this point. Yeah, the problem is he's got to pay, play above <coughs> Class A ball, right? right? Which is where he is now. He's 20 years old. He's, he's not near ready. He's not a 2021 guy. He may not be a 2022 guy, depending on how this season, when he finally gets the minor league games, goes. But they do like him. He's a he's a he profiles as an offensive catcher. He has a good arm. Um, he's not going to be yachty defensively. Um, but I do think you're right with Kisner. The hesitation is probably on the defensive end, even though we've seen his throwing actually improve quite yeah. a bit. I think he maybe just doesn't have the ability to call call a game that that you would hope for, or you know, block balls, things of that nature. So that probably is the hesitation there because the bat looks like it plays. I mean, he hits it at every level pretty much. Um, was an infielder, hit well enough to get drafted as a third baseman. So there's there's some upside there, and I I I am a little surprised. They don't explore it a little bit more, I would say, and maybe try to work with him and, and, and fix those blemishes to get him to that point because why is he a top 10 prospect if you're not going to play I was going to say, does he have any trade <clears throat> I think he has some trade value. Point. Yeah, I do. Carson Kelly, you know, he looks like a somewhat similar guy to Carson Kelly. He he had trade interest. So, yeah, in a package, I think he would be a, a guy of interest. And I, I frankly, I think they owe it to him to explore that if he's not going to be the guy. I, I'm interested to see what happens there, especially if they're able to bring back Yachty, because at some point it's it's a devalued um, prospect. It's a devalued right. asset, right? right? You're like, devaluing your own asset. And, and what's it. the point of that? It, it's kind of like what's happened in the outfield where you have all of these different guys and you want to see some of them eventually produce. And so mm. you kind of have to start picking and choosing, okay, who are the guys that we believe in? Now, obviously we can see now they may have chosen wrong on mm-hmm. that. Randy Rosarena, if they could go back, I'm sure they would choose him out of that littered <laughs> group. So. But they eventually made some decisions. Rightly or wrongly, they made decisions. I think that's what's probably going to have to happen here at catcher as well. Von Herrera seems to be the next guy in line. That's the choice that you're making. If Kisner goes on and plays well else, well, that's you got to make choices. It's a big boy business, right? And they, right. they know that. Um, I think that that's probably the route they should go. I guess the one thing that I would be curious on is, are they prioritizing right now Yachty? Like, because, and when I say that, I'm not saying just in general, but if you have, I don't know what their budget is. I don't know if they know what their budget is right now, but let's say it's like $15 million. Well, if Yachty's potentially going to account for $10 million of that, you kind of need to know the answer on him before you can then go to the market to determine what else you can do with that money. Which right? is exactly what they're saying. They're saying that they want to get more information on Wainwright and Molina before they can decide what other moves they're going to make. Now, you don't want to make those moves in mid-February, right, ideally. so well, and, and In yeah, a normal you, year, at least. Right, in a normal year, at least. And and. So you got to figure they're going to be looking for some more answers as we get into January here, and they'll be pressing the agent about where things stand. I hope that there's actually answers to be had. That, well, that's I've got my fingers crossed. Well, here's another interest. Let's think of this aspect of it. We've talked about the Cardinals' w- true ones, right, which aren't always the public, publicly available ones. What about Yachty? Because yep. he's a guy who now, for the first time in his career, is finding out what other teams think of him, and he's also getting to daydream about 
what would it be like to catch Garrett Cole and those Yankees guys? What would it be like to be in the middle of that lineup? Or not in the middle, but probably at the back end of that lineup and watching those To have a lineup mash. so good that I can't hit in the middle. Right. If he really, if his priority is to win a World Series, does he look at the Cardinals roster and say, that's my best no, bet? No, he can't. He's right. too smart of a baseball mind to, to, to view it that and way. And so I think we're seeing little signs of some frustration with him. Like if the Cardinals aren't going to make this an easy decision, what should I be doing? And we've even seen him go on on social yeah. media and say, hey, fans, where should I play? You know, bring it up. Kind of the Trevor Bauer, Rachel Luba uh, <laughs> approach to the offseason. That's so. his agent, by the way, Trevor Bauer's <laughs> agent. She has been certainly active on Twitter. And they, lo- the they love trolling fan bases to see if they want them. Um, last thing on Yachty, I mentioned this yesterday whenever all of the news broke with the Padres making so many moves. I still think that's the team that if he is truly, if it is 100% about winning for him, and I, it's it's always a combination of things with these decisions. If it is mostly about winning, that seems like the spot that makes the most sense. Can you imagine how much he potentially could have catching those guys and and working with guys like Machado and and Tatis and all those great players? I I I can't imagine it wouldn't be you know you know enticing. For him. You remember the energy that we saw him play with in the World Baseball Classic, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yeah, that's famous. It, yeah. It'd be like that. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're throwing to second with potentially Fernando Tatis Jr. being the guy that is tagging the runner out at second. I mean, that's right. That's a baseball dream to be able to watch. Kind of like him and Baez in, in the thing you were talking about. Absolutely, yeah. it'd be incredible. It'd be a lot of fun to watch. Now, I hope he stays. <laughs> that's but if you he, are becoming a major Padres fan, can I just am, be honest? That's my team. <laughs> That's like, my squad, man. Forget the Royals. I'm out on them. They're done. Although they, I watch Mike Moustakis to the Royals. That's something that I would be uh, paying very close attention to right now as a possibility. Um, Do but, we still have the write that down, uh, Dan? Yeah, r- write that down, Luke. <laughs> Luke. Mike Moustakis going to be gone board, from Luke. the NL Central next year. Watch out for the Royals as a trade for trade candidate for him. He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. If you've got any questions for Mark Saxon, we'll get into those and questions and answers coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. If Mark Saxon could see any of these four teams – out of the five possibilities, make the AFC playoffs. Who would he most want to see? Who's the team he doesn't want to see in the AFC playoffs? He'll tell you coming up next on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario, live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Cardinals insider Mark Sachs and I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to some of your questions for Saxy coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. But let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Oh, yeah. I know it's Wednesday, but this is basically our Friday. We're off on Thursday and Friday this week for the new year. So let's start projecting ahead. Let's start with this one, Saxy. The Titans, Colts, Dolphins, Browns, and Ravens. Those five teams are battling it out for the last four spots in the AFC playoffs. So basically, one of those four is going to be left out. Titans, Colts in the AFC South, the Dolphins, and then the Browns or the Ravens in the AFC North. Of those five teams, which one are you least interested in, in watching, watching in the postseason? In the playoffs? Ooh, so that for is the, a very for good an question. entertainment perspective, because we gotta watch these teams, right? Yeah. I, I'm a national, I just wanna watch the NFL. 
Which team do you least want to see? In All right, that I got my round? answer. It is the Tennessee Titans. Really? I just don't need to see more Ryan Tannehill. Oh, I, I, wow. I don't know why, but and they are a good team. They're a sure. really good team, but there's something. I, I personally think the Titans and Colts are a little bit pedestrian, you know, in terms of they're not like dynamic. They're okay. good teams. Um, and the Ravens, I just I like to watch Lamar, man. I like to just see what he can do. What about the, the Dolphins? What what is well, intriguing the, about them to you? Just because they were they they were so terrible, and, and they the one thing about the Dolphins, they may not have the talent of the other teams mm. we're talking about, but man, they really play hard for this guy. You know what I tune in every Sunday for? They play hard for their coach. <laughs> is that no? But come on, you don't want to see like what were they last year? Four and uh, something. They were awful, absolutely atrocious. So bad that they were able to get to a. That, and the Browns are kind of ton of talent, right? Yep. Young talent. Baker Mayfield. You got to kind of see what he does. Uh, I don't know. I, I, for me, the team. I'm just telling you, like just. As a casual NFL fan, who do I want to sit? I'm just like not dying to watch the Titans. That's again. funny because they would be number one on my list <laughs> wow. of teams that I want to see. Derrick Henry is such a throwback, man. Seeing him in January, like if they were, I don't know how the seeding is for sure going to end up working out for the postseason, but let's say they ended up playing the Baltimore Ravens in the first round, and that's your first round matchup. Like, Tennessee versus Baltimore with that running game that they have in January. It just it brings me back to like 90s football. It'd be a brawl. Yeah. It would be a brawl. And Derrick Henry's like this big Earl Campbell-esque type mm. of a running back. And I actually like Ryan Tannehill. I'm out on a I limb. I think he's good. It's just sort of I don't know. I've been watching him too long do his thing. Sure. It's, you know. He's, he's I not find special, him, I guess, is what I would say. 100% not yeah. special. The offense is what makes him not the other way around. But him throwing to A.J. Brown is yeah. really fun to watch. So And they have no defense. Like, their defense might as well not be on the field. So you know you're going to get, like, a 35-31 type of a game. I'm in on them. My team that I don't want to see again is, is the Dolphins. If you've got a quarterback... Again. Well, well, you I don't need to see the them 70s in, or <laughs> Dan Marino. I don't need to see another here. week of the Dolphins. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good on this. Like they've been in the playoffs so much. I, I like Tua. I, I'm hesitant on him, but I like him. I really loved him coming into the draft process. My thing with him is if you need to have a comeback against the Raiders and to do so, you need to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm not sure yeah, Tua's the guy right now that is 100% ready for a playoff matchup against a team that can put 30 points on the board. So I'm good. I don't need to see them in another matchup in the postseason. I'm so good on that. So theoretically, if you were to give a betting tip, you would say load up against the Dolphins in the first round. Right see, the problem I'll just is... i star by that in, just in case it becomes valid. The, I, I wouldn't do that. Oh. <laughs> um, the problem <laughs> is, as you said, they're really well coached. Yeah. So they could easily win one of these matchups. It's just not going to be an entertaining style of play. So give me all of the teams that play no defense and have a lot of fun on offense. I'll tell you a I team that's that. well coached is Buffalo. Yes. I thought that I thought that even though they're the better team when they played New England, I thought there were times it looked like he was out coaching Belichick in that game. Absolutely. Did you I, see any of that at times? Sean like McDermott is a really good coach. It. Yeah. He's a really good coach. I mean, if you look around the AFC right now, Andy Reid, Belichick, and if you're taking age into account, 
he might be my top choice in the AFC among all of the coaches in the conference right and now. They are, He's awesome. They're fun to watch because Josh Allen is getting so good. And you have no idea what's coming next. Right. He could throw it 80 yards down the field. He could run it and truck seven different dudes. Right. He could, like he did last year in the playoffs, just randomly decide to pitch the ball to nobody in particular, but just like throw it to his side. He's almost got a, he, I'm not going to say, he's got a little Mahomes in his game in the way that he likes to throw on the run. Absolutely. Yeah. He's got a cannon like Mah- him and Mahomes probably have the two best arms in the NFL right now. Maybe you could add Rodgers to that list, but Rodgers is a little, little different now than he was early in his career. All right. Speaking of good arms, how about Mitchell Trubisky? <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky might earn himself another year as the Bears starter. They're seventh in the NFC right now, Saxy. If they win on Sunday, a tough matchup. They've got the Packers. If they win that game, they are into the NFC playoffs. If they lose, they need the Cardinals to lose against the Rams, and the Rams are playing with their backup uh, quarterback. They've got a bunch of backup running backs in there. They might be without. Are the Packers going to play their guys? Seems like it, because Mm. if they lose, ah, actually, now that I think about it, they've got that tiebreaker, right? So I'm not sure. I haven't seen the latest on that. But if they do play their starters and Mitchell Trubisky finds a way to win that game, if you're the Bears, do you bring him back as your starter next <laughs> How year? How much longer are we going to be talking about this guy? It's like we're not we're not even in that city and it feels like <laughs> it feels like I hear the name Mitchell Trubisky on sports radio in St. Louis about three three times a day. Well, listen, it's Twinkies, it's cockroaches and Mitchell <laughs> Trubisky that are going to survive the nuclear apocalypse. He could survive. He will, he'll be throwing, you know, little fade routes in, uh, you know, a nuclear uh meltdown would you bring him back would i bring because he's a free agent after the year well what are my other options it's part of the question (laughs) how the other free agents out there the there's not many good options out there somebody like that maybe andy dalton um Uh, you could potentially try to make a trade for carson wentz or matt ryan Maybe you're still a believer in Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers make him available. You know, I think kind of the Bears, the more, Arnold, maybe. the more important question than that is, do you think he's the guy who's going to help you win for the next five years? No. If not, then you definitely don't bring him back. So, no, I probably don't bring him back, I guess. Last it's question. Forced. For Mark Saxon, as we go, by the way, no. The answer is no. Absolutely, you should not bring back Mitchell Trubisky. I can't believe Chicago's going to talk themselves into it, and it's a disaster waiting to happen, and well, I can't wait to see it. they talk themselves into drafting him, so they can talk themselves into... It's, it's always easy to make yourself decide that you were smart, right? Yeah. It's easier to decide you were smart than dumb. All right. If you had a top three MVP ballot in the NFL right now, who would it be? It seems like everybody agrees at this point it's... In one order or another, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes at the top, one of those two guys. Who would be your top three for MVP right now? Is Derrick Henry in the running for that? He should be. I feel like he should be. He set all sorts of uh, rushing records, right? Um, there are other good running backs having great years, though, too. So Dalvin Cook's been very good as well. Right. Um, Stephon Diggs, is he in that conversation? I, I think, you know what? He's it, leading the league in receiving. It has to be a quarterback. Yep. Just the way the game is played now, it almost they should just call it the most valuable quarterback every year. It almost It's just that, the way the game game's gone right so um you know i between rogers and mahomes is impossible for me to to i'd have to look deeper into the numbers but i'd certainly rather watch patrick mahomes just because it's so incredibly exciting what he could do on every play i think i will go rogers one i know i know rogers one 
Mahomes two, Josh Allen three for me would be my list. I like that. Josh Allen with what he did this week, I think worked his way back into the mix. He was like at the top of the list for the first six or so weeks, had this like donut type of season where in the middle it got a little dicey. And he's been really good over the last five or six weeks for them. So and I think Josh Allen's defense. Earned That's a really good New England defense. I think for people who kind of like slept on Josh Allen and maybe saw him a year ago or something or earlier this year and didn't realize how good he's getting, he's getting better every year. And I think that speaks to what we talked about, that he's got good uh, chemistry with the coaching staff. He is Mark Sachs, and I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for questions and answers. We'll get to some of your questions coming up next right here on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this. There's an. I don't even know if this is a report or a rumor. I feel like all of these kind of get combobulated sometimes into like one jumbled mess but john Heyman, mlb insider for mlb network says the cardinals maintain interest in bringing back colton wong the decision not to pick up his 12 and a half million dollar option was about the price they still like him well, it's a good thing i have a cardinals insider right next to me Saxy, do you think that they still have interest in bringing back Colton Wong? I think when it initially happened, and maybe for the first month or so, they, they, thought, they thought there was no chance it was going to happen. <clears throat> it sounds to me maybe what's happening is Colton's out there and he's talking to other teams, and maybe he's not getting the deals that you know he would like. Maybe he has had his agent call the Cardinals back and say, look, is there a possible fit here? Because initially, I know from talking to Cardinals people, they were actually kind of excited about seeing what Tommy Ebbing can yeah. do at one position with 500 at-bats. Well, he could still do that, though. And they still could do that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There, there is a spot. Yeah. I believe it is third base where they don't well, really now, have an option right now. That might be part of what's happening here. If, in fact, this is resurfaced as something that they're interested in, they're starting to doubt whether they want to lose that possibility because if Matt Carpenter hits 190 again, he's probably not going to be playing every day this well, time. So I, I, I would hope so. They really don't have, like, there's no obvious guy if, if, if Carpenter just can't do it. Let's just say, and I, nobody wants that to happen, but if, if he, he just isn't hitting this year again. They really don't have that obvious guy other than Tommy Edmonds. So maybe this is kind of saying, wait a minute, if we can keep this within our budget, if it's less than half of what we would have been paying him that's still great cost savings what is you know a gold glove defender worth to us and so i i could see them revisiting that discussion. and i know he wasn't as good offensively this year but the other thing is like there's a lot of holes that colton wong fills on this team right. they don't have a leadoff hitter right now i right. mean tommy edmund maybe could be that but last year he was not good offensively at all mm -hmm. defensively he's not as good as colton wong but he could help you at third base he mm -hmm. plugs a hole there tommy edmund does Colton Long really would help this team, especially if he's at a reasonable price. If it ends up being five, six million dollars on a one year kind of prove it deal, I guess, if you will, he makes a ton of sense for them, especially because there's not a whole lot of other infield options on the market. And Tommy LaStella, I love him. Don't think he's an option here in St. Louis. Yeah, right. And when you look at all these, like basically what the Cardinals are doing is, is they're talking to players and they're saying, okay, we'll sign you at pandemic prices. And the players are saying, wait a minute, we want to sign a pre-pandemic price. Sure. So it's basically all these players they have interest in, it is going to depend on the price. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. This one's interesting. 
Saxon, at this point, if they don't end up bringing back Colton Wong, do you expect Matt Carpenter, Matt Carpenter to be the everyday third baseman for the Cardinals? I do not. I don't think that the Cardinals expect that he will be the ex, expect he will be the everyday third baseman, and that's the end of the question. It it changes, especially with a contract of that heft. It changes every month that another month comes off that contract. So last year, there's no way they were going to give up on a guy who they were going to have to pay $18.5 million to next year. It's just not how they work. This year, again, <clears throat> every month that goes by, whether they're playing or not, if the season's delayed a month and you start in, you still get a chunk of that contract off the books. So if he starts off slowly, I don't think we're going to see him in May batting 140 and still in the lineup every day as we did a couple of years ago, which worked out well, by the way. Um, no, I don't think there's this rock-solid expectation, which raises the next question. Okay, who is it? What if he just completely can't perform at the level they need him to? And you got to – is it Edmundo Sosa? They, they haven't shown a whole lot of – um, belief in him in the past. I'd like to see him, though. I, I don't know if he can hit at this <clears> level. I have no idea. But I know Matt Carpenter, at least, again, we all hope that he starts hitting again. He's right. a great dude, really good Cardinal. But if it doesn't work out, then at least you've got a glove there with Sosa. And I think there's a little more upside moving yeah. forward and with it, him. And if it, it's not him, they absolutely have to go out and sign a good utility player. They just have to do that. Um and because you you have to have whether it's a Brad Miller who did a good things for a month and mm -hmm. then not so good things for a month somebody like that you just have to have another option I don't I think they're a little short on options right now for that position six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers from the six three six Saxy do you think that the Cardinals are actually going to play the matchups in the outfield this year and if so why didn't they start doing that sooner with some of these young guys. I think it depends if they get any other pieces in the outfield because that right now you've got, other than Dylan Carlson and Dexter Fowler, they're all right-handed hitting. So there's not a lot of edge in any uh, platoon matchups you could find because, again, they're all right-handed. There might be slight differences in how they hit righties, lefties. Harrison Bader is an ideal candidate for, for a platoon. He kills left-handed pitching. He really struggles <clears throat> against a right-handed pitcher with a breaking ball. So then you think about, is there a left-handed guy they could sort of mix and match with him? They don't have that guy. Is that a guy they should look at acquiring? Um, a Jock Peterson or someone yes. all the way down the line, less expensive guy than Jock Peterson. I think they should absolutely look into that. I don't think they'll play matchups with Dylan Carlson. I think they'll just throw him out there. Um, hope, hopefully he swims rather than sinks because he's a switch hitter. There's, there's no platoon advantage. Dexter Fowler is in a similar situation to Matt Carpenter. Every month that goes by is less, less of a worry in terms of that contract. He's got to play. He's got to be one of the best three guys in order to play every day. So I think it's going to be not so much based on matchups, at least as they stand now. It's based on how they're performing. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line from the 573. Mark, do you think that Jerks and Profar could be a, an option for the Cardinals as one of those utility types of players? I really liked that name early in the process because he's still so young. You forget, I think he came up when he was 20. So he's only like 26 or 27 years mm -hmm. old and he's a free agent. And he's improving a little bit. He's hitting a little bit more. Um, he's not, you don't get as excited about his defense as you once did. He's more of a utility guy, moves all around, but probably plays better defense than most of those guys. So, yeah, that's, that's a name I think would be very interesting. I don't know where his market's going to go. It's he's, you know. 
the last three years, he's basically been a league average hitter, 240 guy, gets on base at an okay clip. He's averaging like 20 doubles, 15 homers per year in about 115 games. Solid. Right, so, solid, solid with with the idea that, you know, maybe he's a late bloomer. There's a reason mm-hmm. he was such a well-regarded prospect at one time and why they loved him early. Um, you know, maybe he has a great year. I, I I think it's an interesting name to keep an eye on. Again, it's going to depend what how much money he wants. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, do you think Yadier Molina will get a statue if he leaves outside of the stadium? Well, there's absolute. To me, there that, that's a no-brainer. I, I think he's going to be, I don't know whether he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. I do think he will make it to Cooperstown, um, even though the war will not support that. Um, I just think that his reputation beyond numbers will will get him in um are you a voter i am a voter yeah i just i just submitted my ballot actually um it's become less fun over the years because people just get so they take things so personal if you Mm. vote for their guy or you don't it just are you a guy that votes i know that there's a there's so many different philosophies on how you fill out your ballot right? right and i'm interested in all of this stuff are you somebody that like there's 10 guys that I can vote for. I'm going to try to keep as many pl- guys on this ballot as I can, so I'm going to vote for 10 every year. I, t- I, I typically do. You can't vote for 10 this year. There's just not 10 guys okay. who are Hall of Famers. I mean, I guess I, I think I voted for seven. I'd have to I'd have to pull it up, but I do have a lot. of. I, I am a big Hall guy, I think, it, compared to. I, I don't think that you can look at a, a baseball Hall of Fame and look at the era they played without talking about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. So to me, that's ridiculous that they're not in. I vote for them every year. Um, I vote for the first time this year. I voted for Scott Rowland. <clears throat> and that was, in some respects, a product of what we talked about. There were just an, there was plenty of room to get him on the ballot this year, whereas a couple of years ago, there just wasn't. And so I think he gets in not because his offensive numbers were so extraordinary. In that era, you have to devalue the offensive numbers because of what other guys were doing. I think he gets in because third base is underrepresented. It's like, what, seven guys? Yeah. And he's a, he, he has better numbers than guys who are already in. So I, I, I finally kind of came around to that, and I voted for Scott Rowland. I think that might be the path that Yachty takes, too. It's something similar to Rowland, where eventually he'll get in. It'll feel a little first where you're like, hold on, I, I, think, I think this guy's worthy of getting into the Hall of Fame. Why isn't he getting more than like 30 40% of the votes? And then by year two, three, four, you, you start to see it kind of start escalating a little bit. And I, I think you'll see him get in, but I think it will be a similar path to what we've seen from Roland hopefully not as low as it was Roland's first year he was almost off the ballot going right. into the second year I don't think that'll happen but I think something similar in terms of his right his route momentum to it. yeah that's a big thing absolutely he's Mark Saxon I'm Brandon Kylie. it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN coming up next I had a big shindig yesterday with Anthony Stalter on the Cardinals finding their core compared to the Padres I think it's there I want to get Mark Saxon's thoughts on this do the Cardinals have their core also a draft note on the Cardinals that I don't think you're going to be be able to believe. We'll get into it all coming up on 101 ESPN. We're right back to more of it. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. I don't think that we can include Dylan Carlson, who we, who we don't know about, and Paul DeYoung. If Paul DeYoung is one of your core four, you don't you don't have a strong enough core yet we always concentrate on the manny machado signing or the ryan o'reilly trade or the mookie betts trade we talk about you know building that that kitchen 
when we're standing on concrete that is falling apart beneath us. We want to discuss the big move as opposed to what led to the big move. It's 12.04, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That was Anthony Stalter in the crossover yesterday as we were talking about the Cardinals' current core and how far away this Cardinals team is. Uh, it's Mark Saxon in for Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I think they do have their core. Now, we can argue about how good that <clears throat> core is. I think there's a discussion to be had there. But to me, when you see guys like in the rotation, what they have right now, and Dan told us earlier, he thinks it's like 20 guys that they could potentially have mm-hmm. as realistic arms that are really quality players. And then that doesn't even include Dakota Hudson, who will be back hopefully in 2022. You've got Goldschmidt, DeYoung, Carlson. I think the core is there, so I don't think they are that far away. I wanted to get your thoughts on this, though, Mark. Do you think the Cardinals have their, whatever you believe it to be, the quote-unquote core group of whatever is going to be there when they start winning again at a high level, a a real contender? No, I don't, actually. I think that when I think of a core, I think of a group of guys who maybe come through a system together and stay together in the big leagues for at least four or five years, right? It's harder to do it. It's hard to do it much beyond that because you reach the big leagues at different levels. You reach free agency, all this stuff. But what would the Cardinals core be right now? I mean, I think they're closer to having it on the pitching side, and we'll know more at the end of this year. They may have their pitching core down. But on the hitter side, I mean, is it Paul Goldschmidt, Paul DeYoung, Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader? Well, okay, so if those are the four guys, Goldschmidt, of course, Paul DeYoung, quite likely. Dylan Carlson, well, you know, he only had, you know, a month of of, of at-bats. The first one, you know, the first stay wasn't great. Second stay was very good. You got to wait. Harrison Bader, a lot of people don't know whether he's going to hit at this level. So if that's a core, it's a pretty weak core right now. I think a better way to look at this team is it is in transition. When you talk about the possibility of these legacy names like Wainwright and Molina moving on, that makes for a very different team. So a better way, I think, to look at this team, particularly this at this moment in time, is one that's trying to find a core that's a little bit in transition. So here's my question then. What is the San Diego Padres core right now? Really, this I mean, the Padres core really is Tatis and Machado to me. I mean, I, I think everything revolves around that. Will Myers a little bit. Other guys seem to have better seasons Osmer because those well. guys were so great. And so to me, they're that type of team. They're a little bit like that Red Sox team where everybody revolves around those two hitters in the middle of the lineup. The reason why I ask that is because... I don't know if Hosmer, Machado, Tatis, Myers is all that dissimilar from what you just mentioned, except they have one more of those big bats. Like the the Goldschmidt Mm -hmm. equivalent would be either Machado or Tatis, right? They're different players. I'm not trying to say that. And obviously the ages are quite different as well. But in terms of what the overall production is that they're going to give you a wins above replacement or at the plate, whatever. Similar players in terms of the production that they will give you. Wait, so who's similar? You think Goldschmidt and Tatis? Goldschmidt and either Machado or Tatis. They've got one of those guys covered with Paul Goldschmidt, right? In terms of the production. Yeah, I I think Goldschmidt's a tick behind those guys at this point, but sure. Yeah. But that's that's what you're going for there. Hosmer isn't all that dissimilar from like a Paul DeYoung, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at who's the other Carlson, that's it's not all that dissimilar from some of the young guys that you see on the San Diego Padres that mm-hmm. they're building around. If you hear anybody talk about their core, they'll probably bring up Cronenworth or Grisham. Those mm-hmm. guys are kind Great of Grisham, similar sure. to uh, what the Cardinals have right now yeah. in Dylan Carlson. 
they're missing the one more guy. Like they're missing whether it be Tatis or Machado, they're missing that. And you can cover one of them with Goldschmidt. It's not to the same degree, mm-hmm. but you can cover one of them with that guy. They're missing one more, though, to be a part of that core. We keep coming back to that six-war player. Exactly. Right? And I know to. it's an exhausting conversation to have. Mm-hmm. It is. It's really frustrating. And I don't enjoy having the conversation every day, frankly. But the Cardinals have put us in this situation where we're going to talk about the team and the best way for them to be able to move up a peg. Because right now they're a contender in the NL Central in part because of what the NL Central is. Right. But they're not a contender for a World Series. They're, they're just not. And it's because of what the teams around them are doing in the National League. And that does include the Padres. It does include the Dodgers, who are playing on a completely separate playing field right now than everybody else. It includes the Braves, who also have two of those young yep. core players no doubt. that would be similar to the Padres. They're missing that guy. And there's ways to go get that guy, whether it be Arenado in a trade. And I know we don't, we'll have that discussion later, but somebody next year in the free agency group, somebody else that becomes a disgruntled star in their current market. There's ways to go get them, but that's what they're missing to have a course similar to the Padres. They're not there yet. They're and absolutely not, but it's close. There is a shot next offseason they could find that guy if they're finally willing to sign that deal. But I would just say to Cardinals fans, look at the MO of your team, and instead of keep continuing to make yourself crazy worrying about if they're going to get a Nolan Arenado, look at whether Dylan Carlson could be that guy. Look at whether Nolan Gorman could be that guy or Ella Harris Montero. It's gonna it's gonna if they get that guy, I think they're gonna develop that guy. I just really I just don't think this team's MO is to go out and put the kind of risk of this is not the type of team that can swallow the contracts that the Yankees can swallow. But they have. They have, but they don't swallow five years. They'll swallow the last couple of years or year and a half of a Brett Cecil, of a not of a John Carlos Stanton or, you know, if you go back in the day, Vernon Wells, like guys who just retired four or five years before their, you know, their contracts right now. So I just don't think, I think they're a very pragmatic organization and not a emotional organization. So the the reason... The thing that frustrates me about that, um, and I understand it, it's it's gotten them to where they are. They win 90 games every year. They're a, a perennial playoff contender. I think baseball's changed, and I think everybody's trying to build now the way that the Cardinals are, or mm-hmm. not everybody. Most teams across baseball are now running their business the way that the Cardinals have operated now for 20 years. Absolutely correct. And so the edge that they had from like 2000, maybe even earlier than that, like 97-ish, basically since the DeWitts came in charge of ownership from the late nineties till about 2013 ish, 2014, maybe 2015. As far as that, it's gone. That, that pragmatic view that other teams were not taking in that 15 ish year span. They're all taking that view. Now I'm watching the rays who are doing what the Cardinals do and doing it to a higher degree. And frankly, doing it in a lot of ways better than the Cardinals have in recent years. I'm watching other teams across baseball that are all doing this cutthroat. It's all about what is the value? What is the value? What is the value? And if everybody's doing that, well, then the value is by acquiring as many really good players as you can. And that's hard. And it requires you to take on some potentially bad salaries here and there. I, I get all of that. But there's not a whole lot of edge in what the Cardinals are trying to do right now. And so when you try to build that way, okay, Developing the star is certainly the the way that you would want to do it. It's cheaper. It's 
um, more long-lasting, it's the better way to go about it. But when was the last time the Cardinals actually did it? When was the last star that came through this system that was drafted and developed by the Cardinals to become a star? Well, most people, of course, would say that Oscar Tavares was going to be that guy. But we don't know. You don't know. You don't know. But the signs were pointing there, and they they had sort of mapped that out as his— he was going to be that, you know, that six-war player, right? We keep talking about. So um, that can set ba- an organization back. Then, what? What are the other factors, BK? Where are they drafting? You know, that if you look, if you talk to like scout or, or you know amateur scouts or prospect, really attuned prospect people, they'll tell you there's usually seven or eight just freaks in every draft. The Cardinals have not had access to those guys. They haven't had access to the guys who are just obvious, can't-miss, superstar athletes, five-tool guys. They haven't had access to those guys. And I think we're going to get into this later in the show. They've actually drafted pretty darn well, drafting late. So let's get into that now. Um, there was a really good piece in the Boston Globe yesterday, and it, it was focused on the Red Sox and what's gone wrong in Boston, right? Because they wanted to look at, okay, how do we arrive at a place where they trade off Mookie Betts, are doing nothing this offseason, and have become uh, not exactly the model franchise in baseball right no. now? What happened? How did they get here? Well, I found something really interesting from it about the Cardinals. According to this piece, no team has had more wins above replacement produced from the 2012 to 2016 drafts than the Cardinals. So basically what they're saying is over that five-year stretch, nobody got ma- more major league production out of the 2012 to 2016 drafts than St. Louis. You ready for this? I am not surprised at all by that. And why is that? I'm not because I'd like to see a breakdown on how much of that war was on the pitching side. It's got to be almost the vast majority of it. You have to understand, and I think this gets lost locally. You know, there's that thing about, you know, you're not as appreciated locally. I can tell you, I was covering the Dodgers when they decided they were going to emulate the Cardinals' ability to go out draft college pitchers and build behind it. It's what it's what sparked the Walker Bueller uh, tr- uh, acquisition. Um, Julio Rios, who he, he was signed in Mexico, not out of college, but similar. They, teams view the Cardinals as a factory of pitching. They and are. They We're are a it, factory yeah. of pitching, and I, I think you have to give them credit for that. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you a good basis to then, if you can just make these slight upgrades in your offense – you're absolutely going to be competitive every year. If you have that much pitching, you're not going to fall on your butt. So that doesn't surprise me at all. And, by the way, I think that they hire as good a coaches as anybody, minor league coaches as anybody out there. They have Jose Okendo working with those guys. So it's not only drafting, it's developing. And I think they're very good at developing. You'll see a guy, Dylan Carlson, a lot of people thought was a reach in the first round. He moved like a rocket through the system. He barely stayed anywhere more than a couple of months. Um, Nolan Gorman moved quicker than anybody ever had or something or in 50 years when he went to A-ball out of high school, Mm -hmm. within months of going out of high school. So they are good at developing players. Um, But I think to have achieved what you mentioned, having drafted 20th and below almost every year through that period is pretty impressive. It's very impressive, and they deserve a ton of credit for it. And I've said this all along. They're as good as any team, maybe better than any team, at at developing solid major league uh, position players. They're really good at finding guys that 
are littered throughout their franchise and other franchise that are just solid players that you plug in and you're like, that is not a, a, a hole for us anymore. Right. We've got a solid player that can plug that spot. But it, it, it always comes back to the star, the six war player that you've referenced so much, right? And if you're if you are drafting, they're gonna continue drafting in those twenties. Well then how do you get it? If I'm you're gonna, not Okay, I can actually answer that to some extent. Okay. Okay. Look at the last few drafts. Look at this just this last draft. Jordan you, Walker. You can clearly see what Randy Flores is trying to do. He's saying, Okay, we're not gonna get the Torkelson, the kid who can just absolutely rake, has proven it at a good conference, a college conference for three years. What we can't afford is the next Spencer Torkelson, the guy who's in high school, who's a lottery ticket, who might give us absolutely nothing in the end. He may just not develop. Who knows? He's He was playing against you know high school dudes who were 17, 18 years old. Some of those guys were throwing 75 miles. Okay, so Jordan Walker... Mason Wynn, uh, the uh, Trajan Fletcher from Maine. They are drafting high, high upside, very athletic high school players right now. Tink Hentz, the hard-throwing high school pitcher from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, who they drafted. So they're taking those chances now, figuring if three or four of them don't pan out, but one of them is a superstar, they finally got that guy. That's the way you go and get that guy. I'm all in favor of that. That's great for 2025. (laughs) What what are we doing until then? It gives you four more years to talk about it. What do you you I want to talk about it for four years. With Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's talk to our guy, Danny Mack. The Padres made a bunch of, uh, of news over the last 48 hours. What did Dan make of those moves? And what does it mean in the NL Central that the Cubs are shipping everybody off? The Reds shipping everybody off. Is this basically just going to be a default conversation between the Brewers and the Cardinals? Talk about it with Danny Mack coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's PK and Ferrario brought to you by Auto Centers Nissan on 101 ESPN. Alongside Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our favorite guy, Danny Mack, joining us here on the show. Cardinals broadcaster, host of Scoops with Danny Mack weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. So let's start out with the Padres news over the last couple of days, all of the moves that they have made. At this point, Dan, when you look at them and the Dodgers, do you feel like it's those two teams and then the rest of the National League? Yeah, I I would say so for sure. Um, Give it two years when they get Clevenger back as well, and then the Dodgers uh, and the Padres are clearly the two teams. I mean, even in the 60-game season this year, I thought the Dodgers, if you would have played uh, on the moon, the Dodgers were the best team in, in baseball. So, yeah, I, I think they've closed the gap a little bit. The Padres have, but still, the, the right now in the National League, with what they've done, you know, you look at the Padres getting Snell and then adding Darvish as a 1-2, and it's like 1-1-A, however you want to do it. Uh, that is a outstanding start to your rotation. Lamette and then some others that they can mix in. I think the difference will be is what the Padres do with their bullpen before it's all said and done. And then, obviously, they've got the great talent on the left side of their infield. Um, what they have returning, it, it's going to be fun out west. And, and it's going to be fun for, uh, for baseball. They're an exciting young team. So it's a, it's a good thing. 
So, Danny Mac, I think what you're saying is a lot of us should, you know, stay up late at night during the summer and watch some West Coast ball. But we also want to, like, you know, uh, you know, prop up your product. And, and what you're going to be talking about, the NL Central, on the other hand, seems to be sort of going the other direction. What Shed do you mean my product? Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sexy. <laughs> my product. That's your product, too, baby. It is my product. You're right. I may I may have, like, hidden my uh, agenda. In and this your product, product <laughs> if I may, has been tremendous. It's just, you know, the, the, the thing that you are covering. Okay. That, that yeah. might be going in a different direction. Okay. so your pro- me... You guys are all ascending talents, though. Okay, so we agree <laughs> on where that's going. But what? So you look at this NL Central. First of all, which team is most intent on shedding payroll and being bad? do you think? And will this division be as bad as you think? Because one of the things is, yeah, it, it didn't hit a whole lot, but I thought there were some good arms in this division. Do you think it'll be as bad as some people are predicting in terms of this NL Central? I think I saw something where if you look at projected war of teams, the Cardinals and Brewers, Reds and Cubs are all in that like 16 through 20 range in MLB. Right. Do you think it'll be as bad as, as people think? Yeah, I, I look at well, first of all, I, I think as we go team by team, the Pirates are the Pirates, and now they're not going to be nearly as good without Josh Bell. I mean, Josh Bell, two years ago, that first half that he had when he was an all-star, he was awesome. Yeah, He was, he was one of the best hitters in baseball and had a down year. You look at the Cubs, if, if they get rid of guys that, that we all know and love, like Javi Baez <laughs> and Chris Bryant, and if you get rid of Contreras – uh, they now they don't have Almora or Schwarber. If Rizzo stays, um, if those names are no longer there, uh, I, I can't see the Cubs contending because their pitching now is it, without Darvish at the top. Their pitching does not match up with the Cardinals, so I, I you know they're, they're not going to be close. But they still can if they get back to where they were hitting wise. And I do think that we're going to see guys get back to the norm because last year was so abnormal. Um, I do believe that. With Milwaukee, depending on what they do with Hayter, if they keep them in the back end of their games, I think they can be competitive. Now they're going to lose Braun, but they get Kane back. Um, so where do they go? I mean, they're, they're kind of in a cardinal situation where if they added yeah. a piece, they could be very competitive. Um, and then, you know, with Cincinnati, if, if, if the reports are true that Moustakas could be gone, um, you know, they, they've lost now some of their pitching. I don't see them contending. So the division is there for the taking. And if you're a Cardinal fan, you're saying, yeah, they're not doing anything. But really, do they have to? I think if they added a bat, man, the, the Cardinals would be the team to beat. I really do believe that. I know this wouldn't technically be adding because he was on the <laughs> roster a year ago. But earlier today, John Heyman came out with a report that apparently the Cardinals still have interest in Colton Wong. I know whenever that decision was made, Dan, you and Mark Saxon and everybody that covers the team said, hey, listen, this is this is not a, a for sure goodbye. It's just a decision that they had to make now. Do you do you think there's still interest there for the Cardinals with Colton Wong? Well, I, I guess if the price is, is right, and I mean, Mark would probably know better than I, I, I would think if the price is right and the door would be open for him to come back, um, I would assume that once the chip of LeMahieu drops, then we'd have a better understanding of what the marketplace is for Colton Wong because he's one of the, the top guys at that position on the marketplace. Um, you know, he's been linked to Toronto. He's been linked to other teams. I still think that anytime you can have a guy like Colton Wong in, in your lineup defensively, you're a better team because he's a preeminent defensive player. 
Um, and I don't. I, I just think you never say never. Um, but it, it would it surprise me. It would because it, it could have been done already. Um, but I guess you'd never say never is what I would say. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, and I find this kind of interesting. If you don't have Colton, and you're committed to Tommy Edmond playing every day at second base. What are they Which doing? really means at this point, Saxy, not yeah. to interrupt, but yeah. you're, you're, you're then committed to really, I think the, the, the fallout is you're committed to Carpenter. That is my question. Now, what if Matt Carpenter, as we've seen, even in his good years, is hitting 140 in mid-May? What do you do then? Who is, the, who is your other option at third base at this point? I like Sosa. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a fan of Edmundo Sosa. I'm really disappointed we didn't get a chance to watch him because this time last year, and I know it, it's not going to get a lot of fanfare, and I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this guy is you know, the second coming of, of Scott Rowland here, mm-hmm. but he's a good player. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's serviceable. I think he's a solid player. And this time last year in winter ball, he had discovered some power, mm-hmm. and they were waiting for that to develop. And so we started to see it, and you may remember this, in spring he was doing that. He was hitting for some power. Yeah. And, and in summer camp they were talking about, hey, this guy is starting to come on and could be that, that you know, utility guy that maybe you're looking for. I believe he was one of the COVID guys, and then he mm-hmm. kind of fell off the map. We didn't hear much about it. We didn't hear anything down in satellite camp, and it just became a lost season. He's out of options, and so that would be one of the guys that maybe would get a, a more advanced look and a longer look because, one, business is business. He's out of options, and you don't want to just see him walk away, and maybe that's what gives him this chance. And and the other part is, if Carpenter is not producing, you, you're going to have to give other guys that opportunity. And the other one that you're going to talk about and everybody's going to point to is Nolan Gorman. You know, in, and I'm not sure that Nolan Gorman is ready at this point. If a normal projector, uh, trajectory would be in projections would be by the end of next season. Right. It might be really quick, but if you're forced to do it, you're forced to do it. Dan, last thing that I wanted to ask you, we're talking to Danny Mack, Cardinals broadcaster here on 101 ESPN. I know you have said in the past that baseball, it could be, it could stand to be a little bit more fun, right? We've talked so much about how they need more action in the game. There, there needs to be something that infuses a little bit more excitement in the game. I was reading this quote from Blake Snell last night, who's now been traded over to the San Diego Padres, and I loved it. He said of the Padres, quote, they're super exciting. They're a team that plays with a lot of fun. They're swaggy, and they can swing the bat. I think as you watch the Padres, we can all feel that. We can sense that from the outside looking in, and it's clear that it is also something that the players see. Is it possible that the the Padres can, I know uh, Bryce Harper kind of coined this a few years ago, can they bring back some fun to baseball? Is it possible the Padres can do that? Sure. I think it's all a part of culture, too, you know, and allowing your players to be like that. Now, you got to have the right players to do it, I think you have to win, number one. Winning is going to allow you to do that. But then you, you got to have the right culture. I mean, Saxie, you've been around it forever. And as long as your manager and your front office allows that to happen, and I think more and more now front offices just say, the heck with it. You know, if that's what we got and that's how the players want to play, then, then go for it. And I don't think people begrudge that anymore. I think now it's accepted. And bat flips are accepted and – Marcelo Zuna taking selfies going down first baseline on a home run. That's accepted. Uh, you know, some people may not, not like it. That's fine. But it's accepted. And, and 
So if that's the way that we get the younger generation of ballplayers to have fun and young fans to enjoy the game, then so be it. Let's do it. Let's have fun with it and have that swag. And that's part of the sport now. I, it, some of the stuff, I don't necessarily like it because I grew up in a different era of watching the game. But, hey, if that's how the, the game's going to be played, so be it. So what? And, and, you know, people say, well, that's not how it used to be played. Well, did you watch Jose Canseco? Did you watch Ricky Henderson? They, they played with a little swag, you know? I mean, that, that kind of stuff happened. It, it does happen, and it did happen. So I'm okay with it. It's fine. And I think, though, the, the main point, BK, is when you win – and you got to win first, but when you do it with fun, it's accepted. And in some ways encouraged, I think, at this point. Yeah. So Danny Mac, pro swaggy. Sure. Okay. Because that means got you're going to win. Yeah. Nothing wrong you with know, that. I'm pro winning. I like to see winning. <laughs> Good point. Dan, we yeah. always appreciate well, the, the big, time. Real quick, BK. Please. You know, in, in the, the best, I've been doing the games now. This will be, I think, my 24th season coming up. My God. And. The, when the Cardinals had Pujols, Larusa, Duncan, Yachty, Roland, Edmonds, I mean, those were some like disliked guys yeah. from the out from the outside. You know what I mean? Swaggy. Like, yeah, they had some swaggy to them, man. They, they, that the opposition didn't like them a lot. That was some swaggy on, that, on those guys on the, with that club. So I kind of see it. It was a different way of doing it, but yeah, I've seen it. it and by the way, they won a lot, so yeah. it was kind of fun. Yeah, you want to be the team that shows up in town and nobody's happy to see you. Exactly. He's Danny Mack. Hear him weekdays from 10 to 11 o'clock right here on 101 ESPN. You can check out his site, Scoops, with Danny Mack as well and give him a follow on Twitter at Danny Mac TV. Dan, always appreciate the time, man. Happy New Year to you and yours. We'll see you again next week. Happy New Year, guys. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, Danny Mack joining us here on 101 ESPN. That is the most I could have ever possibly expected to hear the word swaggy mentioned in one segment with Danny Mack and Mark Saxon. Well, we're, and I'm glad we did it. We're a lot like Blake Snell. Just culturally, we're very similar. Oh, are you? Yeah. Yeah. I think we... No, no. <laughs> I'm 50 years old, for God's sake. I don't He's use Mark Saxon. That is Luke Clevenger working the board for us today. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We've talked a lot about the Cardinals pitching and how we're all very excited about the Cardinals pitching. They could seemingly produce like three major league starting rotations with the arms that they have. So why hate? Why do the projections hate the Cardinals pitching? We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. This is exactly where you want to be listening to us. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. You look at the Cardinals bullpen and the rotation, and you would have to say, with all the subtractions in the division, the Cardinals would have to be the favorite in the NL Central. So if that's the case, what motivates John Moselock to go do anything? It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen, especially when the Dodgers are acting like they've got something to prove. that They keep adding players. The Padres are taking over the world. Uh, the NL East is the best division in baseball. That was Greg Amsinger earlier today on Caracur and Smallman. Yes, 101ESPN.com and the 101ESPN app is where you find the podcast of that full conversation, all brought to you by I Promise. The thing that he mentioned there that could potentially put the Cardinals over the top in this division, of course, 
is the pitching. And that makes sense because they have a million of them, all stockpiled, whether it be in the big leagues, AAA, AA, they're everywhere. They've got all kinds of arms. We've been hearing about it for years, how they're stockpiling the arms in the minors. Well, they're here. They're either arrived or arriving, and they're right on the outside looking in. I love the pitching that this team has. I think you can be critical all you want of the hitting. The pitching is absolutely there, in my opinion. But then yesterday, Saxy, Mark Saxon in for Alex Ferrario. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I was reading MLB.com, and Anthony Castrovince, who I think does a really good job for them, ranked the top 10 rotations in all of baseball. Among those rotations, five na- uh, National League staffs made the top six. The Padres, the Dodgers, the Nationals, Braves, and Mets, all in the top six in all of baseball in terms of the rotation that they've put together. It's like, wow, that's weird. Okay, where are the Cardinals? Not even mentioned on that list. The Cardinals weren't. And then I went over to some of the projections, and I was like, okay, well, then there's got to be something that I'm missing here. What is going on with the Cardinals and their pitching? Because I view it as a clear strength, and I'm looking at this, and nope, definitely not. The Cardinals pitching is not projected to be particularly good at all this year among the projections, the wins above replacement, fan graph stuff. What's going on here, in your opinion? What are the projections missing that we are seeing? Because the Cardinals are projected 17th in baseball. I I think what the projections are seeing that we're missing is a a 2020 season for Jack Flaherty that wasn't very good. Um, But maybe not taking into the fact that it was only nine starts. And it was really two bad starts. The rest were kind of looked like Jack Flaherty. I think what they're taking into account is not knowing what Miles Michaelis is going to provide. Is he going to be the Miles Michaelis of 2018 or the Miles Michaelis of 2019? Um, so, you know, 2018, he was a Cy Young, you know, in, in the conversation for the Cy Young Award, or at least six, top six or seven. And then 19, not as good. So then, you know, hurt, of course. So you don't know what you're going to get. You don't have like that top end talent where you look at San Diego. Now they have Darvish. They have... They have Blake Snell. You look at the Mets, DeGrom, Syndergaard. You look at – they don't have that – other than Flaherty, they don't have that one name that just grabs you. But what they have is depth, and I think that can sometimes get lost in the shuffle, underrated sometimes, just the fact that you can plug in – you can lose one starter to injury, plug a guy in, no problem, two, three, even four – and you don't miss a beat. And I think that's what they can potentially do. And I'm with you because I'm looking at it right now. I just wrote down the names that they could potentially have that at some point in the year, if they are starting for you, you're like, okay, we're good. We're, we, we can win tonight. They'll give us a chance, right? right? Flaherty, KK, Michaelis are the clear-cut top three to me, especially at least if Michaelis is healthy and mm-hmm. we expect that to be the case. Gomber, mm-hmm. Reyes, Ponce, Carlos, Oviedo, Woodford, Libertor, Thompson. I mean, that is one, two, three, five, seven, 11 guys that I just mentioned that are legitimately options, if not in the Cardinals rotation this year for other teams, if they were a back end starter for them at a minimum, they, they would feel perfectly fine with that guy. And being then two in their or rotation. three of those guys or one or two of them gets peeled into the bullpen. And now you've got, you know, a, an Oviedo or somebody throwing 97 in the sixth or seventh inning. So there's, there's ripple effects to that. Right. And, and who the guys that don't make your rotation sometimes will make your pen Alex Reyes could be that guy again. Or if he's in the rotation, now you've got a chance for that big upside guy we said that they were maybe missing. What if you 
what if he can handle the load of a, a starter and now you've got him pitching, you know, after Michaelis or something coming to in To me, there. he's the most intriguing player on this roster next year. He is intriguing. I'm, I'm I agree. fascinated by him. Are, you probably know more about this than I would. Are they still as in on Alex Reyes today as they were previously? Obviously, everything is with the disclaimer of the injuries, right? That's got to yeah. be the first thing that is noted. But if we put that aside for a minute, are, are they as in on Alex Reyes's talent as they were previously? Well, like if you talk about being in, in you know, like if you go, if you're going to dive into a pool, just like dive in, that's all in, right? Yeah. They're, they are cautiously optimistic. They're dipping their toe in happily. But they do realize that when a young pitcher misses three seasons with catastrophic, catastrophic injuries, there's a real kind of worry there. And you, you do have to keep an eye on that. And I think it will play into whether they eventually do let him be a starting pitcher versus a bullpen guy. It's easier to kind of manage the load um, if you're pitching fewer innings. So, But I would like to see them give him a chance to start. I would like to see them not just go into spring training and say, we're going to stretch him out at the start of spring training. And then with the, with the idea being that they'll peel him back so he can go multiple innings out of the bullpen, I would rather see them go full on he's going to be a starter and then readjust if they have to interesting so kind of like almost an innings limit for being a starter it's like hey we're going to give you seven starts this year and then after that you're going to be a bullpen guy for us so that way the following year maybe you get up to 15 or 20 yeah then- something like that and they're, they're going to face that with a lot of pitchers by the way i think you're going to see if they don't have a six-man rotation just about everybody else will next year because they're not going to want guys going from 50 innings to 200. I don't know how teams are going to do this because I I would imagine this is part of why like Carlos Martinez is throwing right now down in the Dominican I believe. Um you've got really, the Cardinals should be alerted. They don't <laughs> usually know what he's doing. And it's and Cabrera is down there as well starting. I I would imagine that a lot of these teams are like, "Hey, find somewhere that you can throw innings because next year, I mean, you just the, even the best pitchers in the league, I think Lance Lynn led all of baseball with like 85 innings pitched yeah. this last season. So that may be exactly what they're thinking of with Alex. Early in the season, he maybe makes some starts. Maybe he only goes four innings, but it gets you started off on a good foot. Then you've got enough you know, relievers to come in. The roster is probably going to be 26, 28, something like that. So you're going to have plenty of guys to cover his innings. I think that's a better use of that talent than just to use him as a traditional closer. I hope he can make it because, man, his stuff plays. It was back last year to where it was. I remember I was here the first time that he started, and you were certainly covering the team as well. I think if I'm not mistaken, his first appearance, if it wasn't the first, it was the one that I remember the most, was in Chicago at Wrigley, and he was just filthy. Like They had no chance to hit anything that he was throwing up there. And you saw some of that. You saw the flashes of it again last year where it was like, oh, by the end of the season, he was probably the reliever that I trusted the most for them. And I I hope hope he's able to reclaim some of that. Signs are very positive. If you look at spring training last year, he was still kind of a little tentative. He was throwing 94, 93. End of last season, he was throwing 98 and 99, which is where they think he will, will be. So I keep thinking with Alex Rez, I think of a conversation I had with Rick Horton, and we were just kind of prowling the backfields of spring training, and he was throwing a bullpen. And Rick just said, he's got it. Whatever it is, he's just got it. You can see it in his body language that he knows he's going to get the guys out. And I do think if he can finally kind of click and be the guy they thought he would, that's going to be an exciting player. He's Mark Saxon, Cardinals insider. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk drawer, including some audio you need to hear to finish out your 2020. We'll do it next on 101 ESPN. 
Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Powered by Randy's Jewelry. We make quality affordable. Let's go blues. Alongside Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. So, Mark Saxon, this is your first experience diving into the junk drawer with us. It's a different kind of experience. Yeah, I, I have I've dove into the junk drawer, but not with Not you. this junk okay, drawer. Very this. different experience. So, let's start out with some audio. I was on Twitter perusing, you know, as we do from time to time. And something came across my screen that was basically, it said something to the degree of, you got to listen to this audio, you got to watch this video because it'll make you feel happy and we need a little bit of that in 2020. It's like, okay, I could use a little bit was of that Rex right now. Chapman by any chance? It wasn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love that guy. But it was something that he would post. This is basically, so ABC News did a special last night with kids talking about why 2020 sucked and what 2021 is going to be like for them, right? So I pulled a clip from it. Hopefully it makes you happy. This is a group of children talking to the host about what they hope happens in 2021 and how it can be different from 2020. Wanted to go to London, but thanks to COVID, I could not. All right. And if the Spanish flu comes back, I'm literally gonna cry. I'm gonna die if there's another pandemic as soon as COVID ends, okay? Me too, I'm gonna be like- I've been through enough. We all have. Me too. But not enough. I hope after COVID, I just, all I want to do is be able to go to the places that are close, 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 close. So that was children talking about what they hope happens in 2021. And I got to be honest, I think they speak for all of us. Oh my goodness. Because I am ready to go to the places that are close, 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 close. I want to go back to a bar and drink a beer at the bar and just hang out and talk to strangers and do things that I haven't been able to do for nine months now. I'm ready for that. Do you ever click on like an old college football game or something like an old SEC game from maybe just from five years ago and you see how many how packed the place is and they're all crawl they're all slapping each other and having a great time i was sitting with my kid watching one of those the other day going god that looks fun could you imagine how different that is i watch movies sometimes now and it like takes me a second to understand like oh this this was not recorded during the pandemic it's like no 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 no, do not hug each other right why are you hugging yeah i'm getting that too yeah when i watch a show it's like don't even shake hands what are are you you doing are you insane are we gonna shake hands again like is that is that gonna be something that's just gone what's going on i think our culture has been changed at this point because we're gonna like they kind of reference in that little piece we're gonna be worried about the next pandemic right i also wonder like so my mom's an accountant she works in kansas city and there's there's really no reason why she needs to go to the office every day other than the fact that that's just what they've always done Mm -hmm. she hasn't worked in an office since march they kicked them out and they were like hey stay at home until we get all of this to figure it out right and it's been nine months since then. She hasn't been to the office basically since then. Well, I don't know about for her specifically, but for a lot of people that are in a similar spot, probably a lot of you that are listening right now, I would imagine that many of them are not going to be going back to these office spaces because they're, they've now learned, like, we don't need to have you here. We don't need to have you travel to L.A. to go to our offices out there. We can put you on a Zoom and we can save all of those travel expenses. Absolutely. You, you can't imagine. All these corporations are getting done what they did in 
by spending millions probably on whatever the Zoom subscription yeah. cost is. So I can't imagine that. And some of that was probably for the better, right? Like sure. a lot of people were going into offices that didn't need to be going into offices. They could have probably gotten more done at home in their kitchen or wherever it is. And you're going to see that happen. And companies are going to hire people and say, we don't care if you move where our corporate headquarters is. You're never going to come in. Do your work in St. Louis. Or My wife actually interviewed for some jobs. And, you know, uh, one of them was um, uh, Facebook. And oh, interesting. she flew out and we were looking at housing prices in, 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 in Cupertino. And there was like four million for oh my a God. thousand square foot house. But then they changed their policy. They're now starting to interview people who don't necessarily have to move to that area. So huh. you're going to see that happen a lot. My buddy lives out in L.A. and went out to see him. I know probably some of you are sick of me here telling the story, but I went out to see him for his wedding in like September or whatever. Um, and we were talking about just life, right? And he, he was talking about how he's in, he's going to move out of his current apartment. They're going to try to buy a house together. And I was like, if you don't mind me asking, because, you know, it, it's wild, the prices that people yeah, pay I out there. Yeah, I bought one out there, believe me. Yeah. He, his current apartment is in, like, a Long Beach area. Mm -hmm. It's, like, right on the beach. It's yeah. a really nice place. He's like, I'm paying, like, $3,500 a month right now for a one-bedroom apartment where I, he basically gets nothing. It'd be no different than the apartment that you probably that many of you live in here in St. Louis where you're going to spend, like, $1,200 a month for it. He's paying $3,500 a month. I was like, dude, I... I don't know how you're doing. He's like, I don't either. <laughs> Everything that he makes basically goes back into rent. I don't know how people live out there right now. Well, the wages are higher. That helps. But, but it that is, much it's higher? stressful. It's stressful. Because you believe lived me. out there for a while. Yeah, we, were, we, we would, you know, making the mortgage every month was an adventure. I mean, believe me, that's that was part of the appeal of moving back here, getting twice the house for half the cost. I don't know. I When I lived in Columbia, it, I, I miss it so much. I lived in a two-bedroom apartment. It was me and a roommate. And it was right off of, if you're familiar with 63, right off of, uh, or if you're familiar with Columbia, it was right off of 63 Highway. Um, if you turn left, you end up at the football field. If you turned right, you ended up basically where my apartment was. So great location for me who was covering the team at the time. I was paying $450 a month for my half of the rent. And that included rent, utilities, internet, cable, everything. I, I was spending like 600 bucks a month for all of my living expenses. It was amazing. Yeah, I but miss now it you're so in much. the big time, BK. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the big time. You're moving on up. He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, have we arrived in a place where owners are not incentivized to win, at least not win big in baseball? There's a quote from Jeff Passan in his story earlier today that I want to share with you. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. Padres did something that that I don't think anybody ever predicted they would do. They 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 got in there, they got their pocketbook out, and they spent a ton of money to bring a guy like Man, Manny Machado in. Um, and, and sometimes you got to step out on a limb, you know, even though things around you may seem guys who, who are signing big deals uh, on other teams, it may not work out. Sometimes you got to step out on a limb. And in this particular situation, when you can sign a 26 year old to a big deal, that's a different story. That was Tony Gwynn Jr. on with us yesterday talking about how the Padres got uncomfortable to be able to be where they are today. It's interesting because I wonder if other teams are going to be incentivized to do the same because right now in baseball, one of the issues is you've got a lot of teams, especially with the expanded postseason, that basically look at it as they look at the 2011 Cardinals and say, hey, all you got to do is get in. Mm -hmm. You get into the playoffs and you can find a way to potentially win the World Series. The 2019 Nationals are an example of that, right? 
get in as a wild card team, ultimately win it all in the end. Jeff Passan earlier today wrote a great story over on ESPN.com, and I wanted to read this quote to you, Saxy, because I wanted to get your thoughts on it. He said, one of baseball's beauties is that the most talented team doesn't always win. That also creates, though, a perverse incentive. In, uh, even if more talent may offer a better chance at a ring, the difference can be so marginal that teams are actually not inclined to pursue difference makers, not when a club's model deems the return on investment could be negligible. The Cubs could have held on to Darvish and signed George Springer or Trevor Bauer. They could have traded catcher Wilson Contreras and replenished their farm system while also signing JT Real Muto. Had they done that, though, would they have been objectively better than the Dodgers, the Padres, the Braves? Probably not. If having a lesser chance in 2021 means having a greater chance in 2022 and beyond, would that actually be worth it? So Jeff Passan strikes at the point there that a lot of teams, a lot of ownership groups and general managers are kind of reckoning, which is, is it really worth it for us to really go give, whether it be Trevor Bauer, a four-year, $100 million-plus deal, or same thing for George Springer. Is it worth it for us to get slightly better, incrementally better, by signing these guys to these massive deals, or are we okay with where we're at right now? We feel like we can be a wild-card team or maybe win our division, <clears throat> get to the playoffs, win 90 games. It seems like the incentives are off to me a little bit right now in baseball. I understand why owners and general managers are doing what they're doing, but it almost feels like if you're a fan of the sport, this is not what you want to see to me. They're radically off. And it's it's not just a pandemic thing either. I mean, it's obviously ramped up now because teams are more financially hit by the pandemic. But this has been going on for years. We saw good free agents have to sign in Japan or Korea. We've seen guys just go unsigned or maybe sign in June, if you think of Dallas Keiko a couple of years ago. So it, it is a problem. It, it, it because for each individual team, the equation is, is this going to make us better by this much payroll amount? And it rarely does, right? As players get older, they make more money. So for each individual team, it's a bad idea to build your team on free agency. It just is. You're going to end up, the backside of all those deals are going to be terrible. You're going to be in a terrible place four or five years down the line if you have a lot of long-term deals. They all know that. They avoid them. But there's also a quote from Andrew Friedman, the Dodgers uh, president of baseball operations. He said, I love I think you used this in a story lately. I yeah. loved it. He said, if you're smart about every deal, you're always going to finish third on every major free agent. And so part of it is being stupid. And, and, and the Philly owner said that last year they were going to spend stupid money. It's not smart to sign those deals. But for the functioning of the team, the top guys. We want to see them sign these big deals, right? We want to see them, teams build around them and see how it works out. So there is a disconnect in that for each individual team, it doesn't make sense to sign these mega deals. For the agents and the players, it obviously does make sense. So that creates potential labor discord. But more than that, if good players aren't finding places on teams, that's not good for the sport. And, and people want to see those guys go on with their careers. And if stars aren't staying in their markets, right? It, who could have imagined 15 years ago, the Boston Red Sox right. had one of inarguably the five best players in the sport and they traded him for a few minor leaguers. Like, right. c can you imagine if I had told you that 15 years ago, it would have been unthinkable. Right. And yet they just did that with Mookie Betts. If I had told you during the middle of this 2016 run for the Cubs, hey, 
six years from now, none of these guys are going to be on the Cubs. None of them. Like the Kansas City Royals in 2015 won the World Series and were able to keep pieces of that team. Salvador Perez is still a part of their roster. They re-signed and then obviously the tragedy struck, but mm-hmm. they re-signed Jordano Ventura. He was supposed to be a part of the long-term plan. Danny Duffy, Alex Gordon. You can argue if they picked the right guys to resign, but at least they kept some of them, right? right? The Chicago Cubs, meanwhile, are like, nope, we're tearing it down to the studs. None of these guys are a part of our future. Wilson Contreras, who has two years left on his contract, at least he has some value, so we'll get something for him. He's going to get shipped out. You Darvish, who has three years left on his contract, nope, get up out of here, pure salary dump. No reason to really make that move, but pure salary dump, you're out of here. I think that we have gotten to the point where a lot of these general managers are looking at value as opposed to wins. Like, it, is it worth it for me to go from 90 to 95 wins if it means increasing the payroll in 2026 by $20 million? And a lot of them are saying, no, that marginal increase there when I'm already going to make the playoffs either way, I don't think it's worth it for me to potentially hemorrhage my future in 2026 to be able to do that right now. Yeah, I think one thing that Cardinals fans actually can be pretty grateful for is that they don't really go through the cycles that other teams do. Even the Cubs, who have are in a much bigger market than St. Louis, have have built themselves a situation similar to the Cardinals in that they have a lot of invested in the real estate around Wrigley Field now, and they control a lot of that are making revenue that way. They have they are still prone to the cycles, and they play. Mm-hmm. That's their approach, right? They're gonna. They're going to make their World Series runs, then they're going to pull back and reboot. And that's been the Red Sox run as well. Remember, I mentioned earlier this this Dodgers trade where they took on Adrian Gonzalez, Carl Crawford, Josh, Josh Beckett. That was like a $200 million transfer. That's what the Red Sox were doing then. They were be rebooting, which is what they're doing now. The Cardinals don't do that. They have a different model. Their model is contend every year, win 90 every year, see what happens. Maybe that little... That team gets hot in October. So if you really don't like that sort of, you just mentioned this this boomer bust cycle that so many baseball teams are in, that really hasn't happened here. We're talking about 20 years of a really good run. And I realize it can be frustrating when the team makes the playoffs and then has an embarrassing performance as they did against Washington. Um, but there is a, a, a glimmer of hope Every single season here, and that's been going on for a while. The Cardinals, Dodgers, and Yankees are the only teams over the last decade that had zero losing seasons. Mm -hmm. Cardinals, Dodgers, Yankees. Dodgers and Yankees, we know how they did it. They spent $200 million every year, right? right? The Cardinals are the one kind of exception to that rule where they had no down years. Now, the, there were frustrating years in there, but no truly down years where it was like a 75-win season. They just don't have that right now. Right. There was a quote that I read from Eric Neander, the general manager from the Tampa Bay Rays earlier today. And he was talking about, he was explaining the thought process behind the Blake Snell trade. And by the way, they're getting some praise, actually, across baseball for what they got in return for Snell. They got a lot more than Chicago did for, for you, Darvish. And it's arguable <laughs> which guy you would rather have for the next three years. I know the ages obviously you would you would always sign with Blake Snell but you Darvish is a tremendous pitcher yeah he Um, He had a good year it it shouldn't have been that off balance in terms of what the returns were but so Eric Neander said quote our goal is to win a world series we want to make that very very clear it's our philosophy it's our belief that the best way for us to achieve that goal is to construct a playoff caliber team year in year out for every team that we put out there we want to have a shot to avoid those valleys, to not take any years off. 
Man, that sounds like something. If I hadn't told you before I read that quote, it sounds like the exact quote that we would read from John Mosaylock. It is. It's some teams just have different philosophies. Now, I would argue it's harder to pull that off in Tampa Bay than it is in St. Louis. It's why they traded him. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's correct. And the Cardinals, as a rule, have not had to make those trades. Like, they didn't trade Yadier Molina before his contract expired. They didn't trade Adam Wainwright. And again, the reason they didn't is that they were contending those seasons, right, for the most part. maybe. I'm going to be really interested, Saxie. Yeah. What happens with Jack Flaherty? Because he's got three years left on his deal now. This year, there's there's no question he's going to be there. Next year, I think he'll be back. That final year of arbitration, it's entirely possible he could cost them $25 million, $20, $25 million. He's going to be expensive. And it'll be the final year of his deal. And I, if I know anything about Jack Flaherty, I would guess he's probably not going to agree to a contract extension before he hits the market to find out what his true market value is if he were to have 30 teams bidding on his services as opposed to just one. Mm. I'll be very interested to see what happens with him because that could be when you see it's not a one for one because Snell had three years left on his contract, but that could be the one guy that I think might price himself out so much. And as a pitcher where you don't want to get those long term expensive pitching deals, that could be the one guy where I see them go a similar style, uh, a similar path to what we just saw with the with the Rays and Blake Snell. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. They'll have an idea much, much earlier than three years from now because they'll they'll have some preliminary talks about if he's open to some kind of an extension. Um and you never know, by the way. I agree with you. There's no outward signs that have Jack Flaherty like really, really digging in here in St. Louis. You know, he's a West Coast guy, um, all of that. But, you know, he has taken an interest in some of the social justice issues and things, and he's gotten involved with some people here in St. Louis. I, I could I I, I could, could see him, yeah, him resigning. Well, I could see if him. If they were yeah. willing to pay him. I could see him bonding with this community, and that would be nice to see, frankly. Um but yeah, as it becomes more expensive, there's always the possibility they would trade him, and that just makes sense. You don't want your asset just to leave, and then you're left with the draft pick. If he's that good, you want to get more for him than that. And so that could be an interesting point as it arises. Of course, Jack's got to take up his end of the deal sure. and, and pitch really well, which I think he will. Yeah, and he's, he's a super exciting player, and he's we talked about the core earlier. He is mm-hmm inarguably a part of whatever the core is for the Cardinals. I oh, feel like if you're, if you're looking at guys that you're super confident in, it's him and Paul Goldschmidt right. for, for the next few right. years that you're building around right now. Those are the guys on the co- on the cover of the media guide. Is what you're uh, saying. Absolutely. <laughs> I also know he's a guy that wants to win. Like mm-hmm. He is super interested in winning and winning a title. And I think in some ways the Cardinals probably need to prove it to him as well that they are super interested in winning and winning a title while he is a big part of what they're doing. And if he is... He gets to that last year, and they haven't really done a whole lot of that. Or if next year they don't look into the free agent market and sign one of those guys that we all know is out there, I wonder how he perceives that, how he'll look at that and say, okay, well, I'm cheap right now. I, Whenever I sign my next deal, I'm going to be $25 million per season. If you're not willing to sign one of those guys now, when Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and Carlos Martinez and Andrew Miller just came off the books— are you going to be willing to get me help whenever I do sign that big contract? I'll be interested to see how he perceives next offseason as well. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And he's going to have his eyes wide open. We've learned enough about this kid already. He's come from He comes from a background where his mom is kind of a corporate executive. She's going to get him all the help he needs in evaluating that situation. He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for bet it or forget it. We'll start with this. Bet it or forget it. One of 
Alabama or Clemson will win the national title. Alabama or Clemson versus the field. We'll talk about it coming up next on 101 ESPN. He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of better. Forget it. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Let's start out with this one. I know it feels easy, but there might be some people out there that like Ohio State. They've been a good team. I like Justin Fields quite a bit. Bet it or forget it, Alabama or Clemson. One of those two will win the national title this year, Mark Saxon. You starting off easy for me? Or are you, I, you like know, throwing I'm, softballs I'm easing out you there? in a little bit. I mean, what the, the spread is like 20 in one of the games. The other it's 19 like, and a half. Yeah. Give the credit that it is, is deserved for Notre Dame. I can't see Notre Dame hanging with those guys. I, I thought Clemson would, would blow them out in the ACC title game, and they did. Um, I know that they had beat him when Trevor. they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. The other kid played great. Um, yeah, I, I think it's Ooh, going to be one Yeah, I thank you for pronouncing it. I, hey, I, I had to learn how to pronounce Tua's last name. I'm going to get in early on this okay. one because I think that kid's going to be good. Smart. Uh, I, I think it's going to be one of those two. I still, I'm not going against Bama this year. Mac Jones, I thought, was going to be just like the average game manager guy. He's been really good for Alabama this year. It helps to throw to all those receivers. Well, yeah, but I mean, Jalen Waddle's not in there anymore. It's basically just Devontae. I say just. They've got other five-star guys that are good, but Devontae Smith is the game breaker, and that kid is special. God, is he good. It. If you've got an NFL team that's picking high in the draft and you need a wide receiver for your favorite team, I would want that guy. He is super, super special. All right, let's go into the next one. 65780 is air comfort service X line for better or forget it. Maybe this one's a little tougher for you, Mark. In your wheelhouse, too. Not too tough, though. Better or forget it, Matt Carpenter will start at least half of the Cardinals games at third base next year. I will bet that. Matt Carpenter will go into spring training. They're not going to want to discuss any other options. He's going to be the third baseman, no question. They're going to maintain that through April, May. It doesn't matter how he's hitting. At some point in May, if he's not hitting, they'll reevaluate it. But I just think that by the end of the year, he'll get enough at best. The only way he wouldn't to me is if he's not on the roster by the end of the season. I'm betting it. It doesn't make me happy to bet it, (laughs) but I'm betting it. I don't, if you look out on the market right now, there are obvious candidates for the Cardinals, even on the cheap, to be able to bring in as left-handed bats in the outfield. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to platoon center field with Harrison Bader, there Mm -hmm. are clear-cut candidates that make a ton of sense Mm -hmm. for them there. There's really not that guy at third base. Like, you can go get Jonathan Scope. Maybe he plays for you. He's got a little bit of power. You put him at second. If they decide to bring back Colton Wong, that makes some sense. Otherwise, there's not... There's not great options at second or third base on the open market right now. So I just, I don't know where the answers are coming. And it's very clear that internally, Matt Carpenter is the guy. Right. There, there's not anybody else that is there now. Next year, maybe it's Gorman. Right. Right now, I don't see the other clear-cut option internally. Right. And people should see it as, it, it's not a matter of them. They they couldn't even clear his salary if they wanted to. So it's. It's not a matter of them choosing him because of the salary. They they can't move that right. salary. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service tax line for better to forget it. Better to forget it. Mark Saxon, Tyler O'Neill will hit at least fifteen home runs next year. <sighs> I'm gonna forget that. I just don't think that he will. He didn't do enough in his opportunity, I don't think, to cement himself with Dylan Carlson coming on and Bader having a better year. I don't think he's going to get. I don't think he's going to get the plate appearance. Really? I don't. I don't. So then, what are we doing? Well, look, you've. I mean, Dexter Fowler had a better year than 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 uh, O'Neill last yeah. year. 
Bader had a better year. Carlson is exciting. There's your three guys. I think they're going to ride with those guys, and Tyler O'Neill is going to be the fourth outfielder. And frankly, there's not a lot he can say at this point. They've given no. him enough opp- opportunities where at some point you got to do it, right? Is So right now you've got the, the four guys that we just talked about. Lane Thomas is going to be somewhere in the yeah, mix, I would you would him, imagine. I would put him in the fifth spot right now behind O'Neal. And then Justin Williams, who's out of options, I believe, for the upcoming year as well. He's a guy who I think has some skills. I would want to see them give him a, a, a little more reign to see what he's got. They've just never done it. I don't know why. I mean, that's six guys, Saxy, and we're talking about potentially adding somebody to the outfield mix. Well, if you add, you have to subtract, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, somebody in that group. Now, what I said is I think that'll be the setup. I think it'll be Carlson, Bader, Fowler at the start of the season. Mm No combination would surprise me by the end. I think they have to be honest in their evaluations. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Bet it or forget it, Mark Saxon. This time next year, Paul DeYoung will not be viewed as the Cardinals starting shortstop. Mm, Man, I will forget that. I I think he's got a little more time, and I don't think that... Well, this time next year, is that assuming that they sign Trevor Story or they sign Yeah, so you're looking to next year's offseason, and they potentially get one of those shortstops. I'm going to say forget it because... Let's not forget Paul DeYoung's a very good shortstop. Yeah. I think if they went and got Corey Seager, there's a chance they would first have a conversation with Corey Seager, will you play third base? At six foot four and two hundred and forty pounds, he profiles more as the third baseman He's than the Paul A-Rod does. comp, right? Yeah. Like not one for one. He yeah. may not be so A-Rod, I'll but I'll forget that's... that one for, for now tentatively. I'm gonna bet it because I'm an optimistic man, Mark okay. Saxon. Huh? And I'm gonna go ahead and say right now I, I pray to God. They are going to be able to bring one of these guys in, whether it be Story or Correa or Baez, who would be awesome. He'd be a lot of fun to watch. Whoever your favorite is of that group, I I hope that they are able to bring in at least uh, just bring in one of them. Bring in one of them and we'll get excited. I'm going to text Paul DeYoung's agent. I'm going to give him your number. I'm going to say this guy is already calling for them to push him to third. I love Paul DeYoung. <laughs> I I think I'm higher on Paul DeYoung than a lot of people are here locally. Yeah. I think if Alex Rodriguez can move to third, then just about anybody for the right player yeah, can it, also move to third. It doesn't matter that much anymore. They're and he's just already looking, signed. Yeah, they're looking for the best bat. These guys are so athletic for the most part, they can go play other positions. And Paul DeYoung's played them all. Mm-hmm. He's He was a catcher in college. He was Teams were drafting him as a catcher. He's really a pretty remarkable story. Yeah, he is. He's a good athlete. He can play a lot of places. So I, I don't think it's the big deal that it used to be. Oh my goodness, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm a shortstop i don't move positions i don't think that i think that stuff's changed because teams have forced players to change you didn't think that you were going to get out of here without talking nolan arenado right okay bet it or forget it nolan arenado before the end of his career will play for the st louis cardinals i will forget that i just don't think there's any chance because here's what's going to happen this would be the perfect time to try and acquire nolan arenado right the Rockies would love to get rid of that money. He probably hates it there. Would love to play on a team that's got a shot or at least is trying to win. I think it seems win. pretty clear he yeah. wants to play for the Cardinals. Not right. just any team, but it I seems agree like he that. wants to play here. From things I've heard, I agree with that. But it's not going to happen. We all know that. They've told us two years in a row it's not going to happen this but year. Why? So when does it become a good opportunity? In two years when he's 32 and his 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 production is it declining? Makes sense, it yeah. makes even less sense. And he's, by the way, still making $35 million for a few more years. So it's just never going to work out. It's never going to be the perfect timing. But maybe Nolan Gorman will be the next Nolan Arenado. Or, or... 
you trade for Nolan Arenado, you then trade Nolan Gorman for another piece that could continue that crop cycle that the Does Cardinals are up, right? Does his name have to be Nolan? Do you have to make it a three Nolan? I feel like you probably do. Yeah. You got to keep this thing going, right? That's hard the to lineage. Do. Hard to do. You're limiting your prospect pool there, <laughs> certainly. Bit. But, you Slightly. know, you can. I'm sure they've got some kind of database where they can say who's the top-rated Nolan in somebody else's system, and they can go get that guy. When you asked this question, I should have said, yes, I think Nolan will be playing third base for the Cardinals in 2023. Do you believe that? I think Nolan will. I know. Yes. Do you believe Nolan Gorman will be playing third base for I the do. Cardinals I'm very team. high on him, yes. Because I think there's going to be... I think la- the last year they look at him and, and you look at his stats weren't great when he got to Palm Beach, but you got to give these ty- guys time to figure out the level they get to. It always takes a couple months, and I think he's got power that's just going to force its way I'm in. I'm worried about him. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Strikeout rate? What, yeah, what are you worried about? It's uh, very Tyler O'Neill-esque, they, and that worries me a little bit. He... There's part of it is who he is as like a person. He is so constantly driven to to get better. He bought one of those uh, real, uh, virtual reality headsets where you can plug in any major league pitcher's stuff. Interesting. And look at it. So he's always working to kind of get better. And he was facing like Blake Snell a lot to hit a tough lefty. Hmm. Um, so. I just think he's got kind of the right combination of physical skills and desire. I, I, I think he's going to be a piece. Whether he's a perennial all-star, I couldn't say, but I think he's going to be a starting starting infielder. I I think at this, for me, my, my hope is that he can get to Joey Gallo. Like what Joey Gallo is now, not what he was projected to be, but what he is now, a lot of strikeouts, pretty yeah. good walk rate, has a good eye, and just crushes the baseball. Yeah. Like, unbelievable power. That's a valuable player. Joey Gallo's a good player. Good player. Yeah. Nobody looks at him as a star franchise piece, though. And so that's no. that's the thing is like we were talking about the six war play earlier. I right. don't think Nolan Gorman profiles as that. Yeah, we d- probably not. And, and even Dylan Carlson, what they talked about as a prospect, he was more of a high floor prospect than right. a high ceiling prospect. Yeah. So I, they may not have that. So guy. we're still rolling the dice for those <laughs> Where's guys. That six war player. <laughs> He's Mark Saxon. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, is going to join us to talk about where Mike Hoffman fits into the mix and Man, just how lethal can this power play unit be with him added into it? We'll talk about that with Chris Kerber coming up next on 101 ESPN. With Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario will be back in with us coming up on Monday. He's enjoying his new year to himself. I get it. He didn't want to be around me one more time. Totally understand. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line right now, though. One of his partners in crime during the Blues season is Chris Kerber. He is the voice of the Blues. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Kerber. Always appreciate his time. Kerbs, how you doing today, man? Brandon and Mark, I'm doing great. How are you guys today? Doing very well. So let's start out with what was the news of the week, Curbs, and that the Blues have, it's not official yet, but the ex- expectation is they will sign officially Mike Hoffman to be a part of this. What does he do for the Blues going into this year? And then more specifically, I, I wanted to ask you about the power play because, man, thinking about that unit with him on it is really excited to dream about. Well, he... He basically, he's an insurance policy if Vladimir Tarasenko cannot return to form quickly enough, and he's much-needed depth if Vladimir Tarasenko can return to form. And on top of that, I, he puts, he, he, he creates competition for ice time, competition for playing time, 
Uh, it, it puts some pressure on Robert Thomas, on Zach Sanford, on Sammy Blay, on Jordan Cairo to, to come in ready to go and prepared to fight for that ice time. And, uh, and then if everything shakes out, Brandon, and the Blues stay healthy throughout this, you know, tight season of playing every other day except for just a couple of stretches of days off, you're looking at a scenario where you've got as good of depth as anybody in the National Hockey League, in my opinion, top to bottom. So I, um, I love this signing on so many fronts. And Doug Armstrong, once again, he, he put himself in position to be ready if the opportunity was there. And the unfortunate thing is it's because of Alexander Steen's career-ending injury um, that this happens. But Doug Armstrong was ready to jump when it did. And my goodness, I think this is a fantastic signing. Hey, Chris, I got to ask you about this was, you know, kind of the lead story in the local uh, sports section today. And I guess uh, uh, Tarasenko did have some critical comments about not being named a captain. And I I think it sounded like he and his agent gave some uh, quotes to some Russian reporters. Do you think that'll be a problem at all? Just do you see him as a personality who could be difficult in the locker room if he's upset about something? Or do you even think it's to that extent where it, it would be an issue? Yeah, you know, I haven't seen those comments yet, Mark. But, okay. uh, but, but, I, but, I, but I heard about them. Okay, I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't read them myself, but, but I heard about them today. Um, I, I'll tell you, it's an interesting, it, it's an interesting scenario. Like, even if you didn't give it to Ryan O'Reilly, I, I'm thinking the next in line, honestly, are Braden Shen and and Colton Pareko. And um, I, I would, I would take it this way. I guess if you look at it from a positive standpoint. It shows you where Vladimir Tarasenko wants to be mm-hmm. on this team, and and I and I think that's that's a real positive. Um, but but I, I just think that look, Vladimir is is very much about his teammates. He's a he's a guy that doesn't like to talk about himself. When you ask him questions about that, he he likes to defer to teammates. You know, at the same time, like most very high end talented guys, you know, sometimes. The body language isn't great. Sometimes his frustration with his teammates on the bench is very clear and obvious, um, you know, uh, when he comes to the bench. And and I think – and I don't I don't necessarily think that's always a bad thing, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but he wears that emotion that way. I think coming off of essentially not playing hockey for over a year except for a handful of games, um, I, I, I think his focus – solely on getting yourself better and playing on this team. What makes Ryan O'Reilly the right choice for me right now is I think better than almost anybody in that locker room. I think he shows he's got the ability to compartmentalize. With If the team loses three or four games in a row in this shortened season, the pressure is going to mount. You know, and that's when your captain has to stand in front and answer the tough questions for a while so your teammates don't have to do it. And, and Ryan O'Reilly, I think, is the guy to do that. So um, if, he is, if Vladimir is disappointed, I think it's, it's understandable. I think that's something as a Blues fan you should say, great. Uh, I mean, you, you want to know that he wants to be that part of a team. Um, if it becomes a bigger problem than that, I, I have little doubt in my mind this coaching staff and how its makeup will find a way to put that in check real quick. Got it. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, we've talked all off season about all of the additions, subtractions, everything that could possibly be going on. We are officially – we are – just days at this point away from the Blues starting up their training camp. So let's start projecting forward a little bit. 
What do you think the Blues learned from the restart last year? Because it's it's not the same situation, but similar situation, especially going into training camp. What did they learn from that experience that they can implement going into this upcoming year that you think could potentially help them? Brandon, I think the most important lesson to have learned out of that is how ready they need to be to play. So you're gonna, they're going to hit the ice next Monday, and then they're going to play their first game, which counts towards a playoff uh, position, on the 13th of January. You're playing your first two games on the road at the Tin Can in Colorado. Um, so, you know, I'm telling you, it, with no preseason games and only two weeks with the coaches, they're going to have to be ready. If there's any one lesson to me that was learned, it's how you need to be ready right off the bat. And we saw in August the teams that were. Uh, I think the fact that the Blues had many more guys in town earlier, guys skating together more, something Craig Berube said he wanted to see has happened, I think that's going to be huge. But if you come out of this, you, you start the season thinking we've got time and we can build towards something, yeah, you're going to have to build your game a little bit. But if you're not sharp and ready to go, you could find yourself in a skid to start the season, and that will put a lot of pressure on you early. So to me, being ready to go sharp mentally and sharp physically is the ultimate thing I think they had to learn through, uh, through that restart back in August. Uh, if you look league-wide, Chris, what, what kind of play do you expect early? We saw in the NBA where a lot of the superstars sort of just sat out the, the preseason. With the incredibly short offseason, do you think that the, the quality of play, if guys are a little sore or haven't quite recovered, do you think it'll be a little bit raggedy early on? Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's going to be a little sloppy. Um, I, I think the intensity is going to be there because everybody knows what's at stake. But I do think you're going to see some sloppier, more scrambly kind of games at the beginning. So whether that becomes just something of nightmares for goaltenders, mm-hmm. because maybe there's some five, four, six, three kind of games, that's possible. Um, but I do expect them to get to form pretty quickly. But yeah, I, I think fully, it, it'll probably be a little bit sloppy. The other thing that'll really keep an eye on is how these teams set their roster and who's on the taxi squad, because if you look at that schedule, the the Blues play literally every other day for about the first month and month and a half. Then there's a two-day break. Now, a little bit later on in March, over a three-week period, there's two stretches of four days that they'll have off. But they're going to be playing such a a playoff-type schedule of every other day that the lineup decisions of keeping guys healthy, this is assuming no COVID incidents happen, right? The lineup decisions in keeping them healthy is going to play a role in this too. So, um, while I think there will be, to your point, Mark, and it's a great point that, that there's going to be some growth period of just getting your body ready to go, the intensity is still going to be there because of what is going to be at stake. I mean, you open the season with two games in Colorado. That's that's back-to-back four-point games, essentially, the way to look at it. It's, it's, it's going to be intense. Final question for Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Kerbs, when you look at the start times, I know that was – um, the, the subject of a lot of frustration for Blues fans whenever it was announced that St. Louis was going to be playing in this, I am going to call it the Pacific Division this upcoming season. Uh, you're broadcasting these games. What are your thoughts on the start times going into this year? Brandon, I got to tell you. So I, I saw, you know, when, when it was announced yesterday that the Blues will open up as the third game of that double of that triple header on opening night. I thought, you know, it, it, it speaks volumes once again to where the Blues sit in the mind of the NHL and on NBC. And 
the people that were, were griping on social media about it. So I pushed back a little bit, and wow, did that just stir things up on people last night. I didn't realize how many people in St. Louis really valued their sleep at 9 o'clock at night or can't function without five or six hours of sleep. Uh, it, it was it was crazy. And um, I, I look at it, and, and again, this is all perspective. Like, I respect the fact that people have to get up early to go to work. I mean, if you've got kids at home like I do, you're up early anyway getting them ready for the bus. So it, it's not that lives are all that different whether you're working in the mornings, the afternoons, or nights. The, the reality of it is is we're still in a crazy COVID world. And if the Blues playing in the West or having a few extra start times because you're playing in the West as late is how we get a successful season in schedule-wise, in the grand scheme of things, I don't look at it as all that bad, and I don't see it's worth griping about. On the other end of it, if you look at the season, you're going to have during the weeknight maybe nine or ten games that are going to have that late start. Brandon, that's the same number of games with the late start, if not less, than you will depending on the regular season and a normal year in the NHL. Sometimes you're playing those West Coast teams out there twice a year. Sometimes it's once. Uh, to me, it's, it's a lot of wasted energy by – you know, by people to worry about it. It's not a slight by the National Hockey League. It's not a slight by NBC. We all know how TV schedules dictate schedules in sports. And I think the fact that the Blues were scheduled to play in another Winter Classic on January 1st that got postponed, the fact that NBC has made them part of their opening night triple header, the previous Winter Classic, a Stanley Cup final, the All-Star game, uh, the Blues are on the map with the, the national TV carriers and the, the National Hockey League in a great way. That's actually a tribute to the fans and, and what it's done. So I think a lot of people have their panties in a bunch right now, and uh, they, they need to un, untie them a little bit and just enjoy the fact that hockey's coming. And the best part is, Brandon, there were people last night at like 10.30 at night griping to me about a late start time. We'd have been in, done with the first intermission if a hockey game had been playing at that point. So I found it quite ironic. Until March, by the way, just kind of looking at the schedule and the way that things currently set up for the Blues, the only quote-unquote weeknight, school night, if you will, games that the Blues play on the, the true West Coast are January 30th at Anaheim and then February 15th in Arizona. So that'll be a Sunday and a Monday, but that's basically for the first two months of the season, the first 60 days. You've only got two nights outside of the opener where you're going to be playing at that time potentially. So might not be too, too bad, all things considered. Curves, oh, well, and I can think of, I, I can, I'm sure you guys can, I could think of about 50 reasons, non-sports related, why I might stay up until midnight or doing something like that, that, uh, might slow me down the next day, and I still can't wait for those things to happen. So, again, I think it's all positive, and as you said, we're about two weeks away from dropping the puck, and I, I think I think the vibe is going to be great. Can't wait to hear it. That's all coming up in 2021. Happy New Year to you and yours, Curves. Always appreciate the time. We'll talk with you soon. All right, Brandon. Thanks, Mark. Keep up the great work covering the Cardinals. I appreciate all the work you do, man. Thank you. Great talking to you, Chris. Take care. Happy New Year. That is Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate his time. We'll cross things over with the Fast Lane coming up next. Alongside Mark Saxon, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Crossing things over with the Fast Lane, we've got Anthony Stalter, Kerry Davis in studio with us. Boys, what's going on today? We're ready to rock, man. This is, what did you say, Carrie, when you called me this morning? 
the inmates are are running the asylum. <laughs> That's exactly right. We don't we don't know what I, we're going to do. I feel like I'm in the inmate category <laughs> too. Yeah. Well, Sax, if you want to stick around for the next four hours, oh, okay. feel free. We'll, really, we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a big party here. Shoot the breeze. We're just going to talk a little sports, a little bit. A little bit of everything, I guess. So, I wanted to ask you guys quickly, before we get you out of here, Clemson, they announced that their offensive coordinator, Tony Elliott, he's not going to be able to call the plays in the Friday semifinals against Ohio State because of COVID protocols. How big of a deal is this? I mean, this is, it's not just any coach. It's not like, hey, our wide receivers coach is not going to be on the sideline. This is a play caller for them. Seems pretty significant. Well, it, it depends on who they will have calling plays. Now, I mean, there's a familiarity with you when you are been calling plays all year. You know what you like. You know what you guys do well. Other coaches uh, obviously are, are privy to that, but if they haven't been calling those plays in those situations, if it's your first time or you haven't done it in a while, you could be a little bit rusty. So it may have an impact, but they have a quarterback. What's his name again? What's, oh, what's uh, um, Travis, Travis, Larry Lawrence, something Lawrence. Something. He's pretty oh, good. Long haired kid. Yeah, the guy looks like sunshine. sunshine. Yeah, yeah. He, him, Trevor Lawrence, I believe him. He's he's pretty damn good. Last yeah. time I checked, projected so overall call number the one pick. Just, I mean, why not? <laughs> he could probably do it by now. I don't think Ohio State. I I, I was gonna say I don't think Ohio State has a shot. They obviously do. They've got they've got the athletes to do it. But do you really think that they have? I don't think they I, have. I don't either. Yeah. And and I think that Dabo Sweeney, what did he rank them? 12th, 11th, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was it was with good purpose. He did it for his guys to understand that this team isn't as good as everyone makes them out to be. And we should definitely take care of business early um, and, and get out of here. So. I don't know. I like Ohio State. I'm still in on Justin Fields, though. That that might be what's doing so, it for so me. I, I I read this, so I'm listen, worried about their defense. I read, I read something. I have to check if it's correct. Name an Ohio State quarterback that has done well in the NFL. Same thing could have been said about Texas Tech, though, prior to Patrick Mahomes. You know, well, Justin Fields ain't Patrick Mahomes. He- <laughs> Patrick Mahomes could have went anywhere. I don't and, know. And, and, I don't know. In college, and had he he would have had success. He, he is a he is a his talent level is 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 on par with Aaron Rodgers, and I think that that you know those two are you can say one A one B as far as arm talent and and quarterbacking ability, um, and you choose who is one A and who is one B, um, but an Ohio State quarterback they they do well in college, but. I don't know of any of them that have great success in the NFL at the next level. And and it's probably because of all the talent that is around them at Ohio State. Their receivers do well. Their running backs do well. Offensive linemen do well. But as far as the quarterback, I, I'm not I'm not completely sold on Justin Fields. And I will see – we will see what, what happens. What about Oregon? Like, I could have said the same thing last year about Oregon with Justin Herbert, you know? They, they, they previously – Marcus I, Mariota yeah, was yeah, a bust. Joey yeah. Harrington hey, was Dan, the guy before Dan that. Dan Fouts was pretty good. He was. I mean, that's what, four years ago? <laughs> Come on. You know what? I, I'm thinking about this because I went to Cal Berkeley, mm-hmm. which is usually just trash in the Pac-12. <laughs> They're usually last or close to last, right? But they've got in the NFL right now, they've got Aaron Rodgers, Jared Goff. Is there any school in America that has a better tandem than those two? Quarterback yeah. right now? Hmm. That's a good question. I, I Nothing immediately comes Clemson, to mind. Clemson will in about a year. Yeah. Right. You With know. Deshaun and What about Trevor? Auburn? Yeah. No, because Cam's, Cam's kind of on the way down. Cam, Cam's yeah. a shell. I, don't, no, I think the answer would be, probably be no. Yeah, yeah. so that goes to show it's not always but, the powerhouses. So that, I, I, yeah. I'm not that high on Jared Goff either. I know he, you know, he, he is uh, – I know he broke his thumb or had thumb surgery the other day. But I, I watching that Rams team play with him, and I'm, I'm 
probably a little bit biased because he was my starting quarterback and he didn't do anything <laughs> in fantasy. Everything always goes, goes back, back to fantasy. To, it goes back to you, basically. <laughs> it goes back yeah. to me, of course. <laughs> but just watching him, I, I think, Anthony, you and I probably talked about this when he was getting drafted. I wasn't high on him coming out of college. Yeah. He had that, that big showdown game with Utah uh, his last year, yeah. and he threw like five or six interceptions. Did, yeah. And I, I just knew at that moment, I was like, this is not a guy that I would trust going forward now he's done some pretty good things but you know he's taking the team to the Super Bowl but I think the the league has caught on to him and what they do and and Sean McVay so offensively I, I'm not Jared Goff doesn't they're more that. of a running team at this point and, and they don't really run they 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 run a lot of jet sweeps with mm. with their receivers and and when they do get a chance to pop one they do but just getting the ball downfield and finding guys is it's been a struggle for him You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.